Hey, Lexi, are you ready to get raw on this episode? Totally. And let's get the conversation started. Hello and welcome to Lexicon. It is Maddie. Lexi. And Dylan. And I've had rusting on my mind because we've been having a lot of fun with it lately. Uh, I really enjoyed watching the Hall of Fame ceremony. WrestleMania 39 was great until the end. And then we got that debacle of a Monday Night Raw during which we heard that Vince had usurped control of creative. Which I don't necessarily think is such a good thing at this point. But I guess we'll see. And of course all this happened amidst the report that the WWE has now officially been sold to be merged with the UFC under the umbrella of Ari Emanuel's Endeavor. Meaning, for the first time in something like 70 years, a McMahon does not solely own, or principally own, or own the majority of, a wrestling company. Interesting. Which I also don't think is a very good thing. Now, I mean, we've talked about this before. I don't believe that the, man, the McMahons are the end-all, be-all when it comes to professional wrestling. But I do think they are some of the only people left who are in a position to own a wrestling company who really understand this business inside and out. I mean, technically, Vince still has control of the company... For now, at least, Triple H is still in creative, and he's part of the McMahon family. So we'll see how it goes, but at the end of the day, they don't own the company. It's not completely in their control. Yeah. But I guess we'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah, hopefully it'll all turn out fine. Um, so I uh, should also mention a couple other things, wrestling notes. Uh, heard that one of my childhood wrestling favorites, Rick Steiner, had a really ugly incident at a wrestling convention over the weekend during WrestleMania, so fuck him. Not literally. But... uh. I hadn't necessarily been a big fan of the Steiners for a while, but they were one of my favorite tag teams in the early 90s when I started watching. Um, so it's a shame to hear about that, but some people are just assholes. Yeah. And uh, we also lost another member of the wrestling fraternity as uh, Butch from the Bushwhackers and Sheep Herders passed away over the weekend. So condolences to his fans and family. And uh, I should say at the top here, we're recording this on Good Friday. So by the time it comes out, we'll have had at least another Raw... Two more SmackDowns, and who knows how much more wrestling news. Obviously, we can't comment on any of that because we haven't seen it. Yeah. But that's okay, because we're once again going to look back to the past. <laughs> back to the time that I had the most fun as a wrestling fan I think I've ever had. We're going back to the Attitude Era. <clears throat> Specifically, 1998. We're going to be watching an episode of Raw from April 13th, 1998, which means at the time this episode goes up, we're just past the exact 25th anniversary of the show. Now, Raw had just debuted on USA in January of 1993, which means we just passed the 30th anniversary of that. It had replaced uh, WWE's program Primetime Wrestling on USA with a new, mostly live show on Monday nights. Then, about two and a half years later, in September of 1995, WWE's only national competition, Ted Turner's World Championship Wrestling, launched their own Monday night show to go head-to-head with Raw, WCW Monday Nitro. And now the first episode of Nitro went unopposed, and the second episode did beat Raw in the ratings. But from there, for the first several months of the head-to-head competition, the ratings were pretty much back and forth. They were pretty much even. One might win one or two, the other one would win one or two. Nobody had a real distinct advantage. And I do want to point out, too, when we're talking about ratings back then versus now, currently I think Raw's ratings are something like a 1.8 million. A 1.8 million. I think currently Raw's ratings, I think, are about 1.8 million per show. Something in that area, just south of 2 million. Back in this era, we're talking about 1998, each show had roughly 3 to 4 million viewers per Monday. And I know there's some crossover there with people flipping back and forth like my dad and I did, but that doesn't account for all the viewers. Some people were only watching one or the other, so you figure that's probably about 6 million people watching wrestling on any given Monday night. Yeah. And at Raw's height, it would have 6 million viewers a night on its own. So I just say that to say how much the landscape has changed, both in part because 
wrestling is less popular than it was, but also because entertainment has just become so stratified. You know, back then you had a couple hundred channels on cable to compete with. Now you've got a couple thousand options at least between streaming and, you know, YouTube, virtually anything on the internet. TikTok yeah. is competition for eyes. There's still even more cable channels now. Yeah. So we're probably never going to see those kinds of ratings again. But anyway, like I say, the two shows were pretty much equal head-to-head mm-hmm. for the first several months. But the ratings competition took a turn in May of 1996 when Scott Hall, fresh off a run on WWE television as Razor Ramon, showed up on Monday Nitro and began the invasion angle that would spawn the NWO and would lead to an 83-week winning streak for Monday Nitro. The episode of Raw that broke that streak is the one that we're going to be watching tonight. This is the second Raw after WrestleMania 1998, which is, of course, when Stone Cold Steve Austin first won the WWF Championship. We watched that on our previous episode. And they teased a show-long storyline in which Steve Austin was supposedly going to wrestle Vince McMahon in the main event. Now, that might not seem like that big of a deal now, but besides the fact that they were in the beginning stages of what would be the hottest feud in wrestling over the next several years, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon... It was a big deal for Vince to be getting in the ring because he'd never done it before. Not not as a wrestler, anyway. Mm-hmm. He had engaged in some physicality. Uh, Austin had stunned him a couple of times. Bret Hart had shoved him over the desk. So there was a little bit of that, but he'd never done anything close to actually wrestling a match. <laughs> Plus, he'd only recently been revealed as the owner of the WWF. I mean, most people knew that, but on the television show, they didn't acknowledge it. He was just the announcer. Yeah. So this was uncharted territory here. And um, back then, the Monday Night Wrestling shows were pretty much appointment viewing for my dad and I. But at this time, I wasn't at home where I still lived with my parents. I think I was eight. Yeah, I was 18 at the time. But I was out of town visiting family in the very same city in which we live now. Mm-hmm. So I actually saw this episode here where we live now instead of in my hometown. But the cool thing about it was I don't remember who made the phone call specifically. But once it was announced that Stone Cold and Vince were going to take each other on the main event, my dad and I were on the phone with each other like, you see that? You see what's going on? Oh, my God, I can't believe this. <laughs> so that's a neat little memory. It's neat to watch it again here in the same city where I saw it the first time. So... uh we got about a, technically it's an hour and a half of Raw ahead of us, but this has actually got a little bonus action on it, which I think is what the live crowd saw that wasn't aired on TV at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where it would have been seen before, maybe on a, a DVD edition or something. Certainly the network wasn't around back then to show it. But yeah. So we're going to go ahead and go through the full hour and 42 minutes. Uh, so we got almost two hours of show ahead of us, so we really want to get into it. I think I'm finished with my preamble. All right. For those of you watching along, of course, we're going to give a countdown. We'll say three, two, one, and we'll all play on play. Hopefully, however you're watching, probably on the network. I think that's the easiest way to watch it now, but probably not the only way. There may be a DVD copy of it out there somewhere. Some of you may have your old VHS copies from when you recorded it. And some of you may not be watching at all, but we'll still try to make it entertaining. But for those of you who are watching, get zeroed out so that when I say play and we all play together, we'll go right into the show. There'll be no FBI warnings or advertisements or anything else. All right, so if you are watching on Peacock, Monday Night Raw can be a little annoying to get to because if you go to the banner up top where it's got the different uh, components of the WWE part of Peacock, there's a a button for Raw. But that only takes you to select episodes of Raw, different categories like some Attitude Era Raws, some Ruthless Aggression Era Raws, some Classic Raws, etc. You actually have to go down to the the image that says, this must be Monday, and that's the full grouping of Raw. So navigate down to there. You're going to go to Season 6, Episode 15. It took place, as I said, on April 13th, 1998. We're all zeroed out. Hopefully you are as well. I'm going to give us a countdown, and we will all play together when I say play. So without any further ado, three, two, one, play. And we are into it now. We, of course, have our closed captioning on. That's the old World Wrestling Federation intro one. I'm like... Just going... Ah. 
Mm-hmm. Lots of flashing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's flashing. sort of representative of the times. Um, as you see, the corporate Stone Cold coming out. This was Vince McMahon's attempt on the previous Raw to turn Stone Cold into the sort of corporate champion that he wanted. They got Austin in the suit and tie. <laughs> it looked like he was going to acquiesce to McMahon's wishes, but then, of course, at the end, he's going to stun him or whatever to set up the goings-on. On this particular episode. What is that look in his face? <laughs> Who, Vince or Steve? Vince, yeah. I think that's, I think that's, 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 that's a little unsure. He's happy, but he's a little unsure. Vince, look, for whatever you want to say about Vince, he was a great performer. Mm-hmm. And he had great facials. And, and, and well, I, I don't mean that he's getting pampered. He's, <laughs> somebody's coming on his face. I mean, the looks on his face. You talk about in wrestling people who have great facial, facial expressions. He can really express whatever emotions his character was supposed to be doing. It looks a little odd to see Austin strip out of the suit down to his wrestling tights. It's like he's just out there in his underwear now. Yeah. I mean, it's not, but it kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> a little shot to the groin for Vince. Just a little backhand tap. I assume Vince would have gotten a stun in here, but I don't remember for sure. It looks like maybe not. But really quick, I want to go back to that intro too, that, that attitude error intro. I like the one before that one where it was like, the World Wrestling Federation for over 50 years, the worldwide leader in sports entertainment. I, I appreciated that one the most. And here we get the uh, raw intro because, you know, nothing says professional wrestling like guard dogs, dogs in an <laughs> empty warehouse. Stone Cold strolls through an apocalyptic landscape. A lot of explosions. I'm not sure if this... Okay, yeah, Brett's still in this one, so this is still the older one that they'd done in 97. The wing is on fire? Because, of course, as we talked about, Brett Hart had left the company in November of 1997 in the wake of the Montreal Screwjob. Mm-hmm. Uh, we watched that match that took place in Survivor Series 97 on a previous episode, and he's still in the intro there. But sometime later this year, they would change that intro, and Brett wouldn't be in it anymore. That's how you can sort of mark time by when the intro was. And there's the pyro going off. Don't see that much anymore, and that stuff is loud in the arena too. I've been also to a few walls. I've been I've been in the bowl of the arena here, and I've actually been outside in like the the the, the hallways that go around the arena before you walk down into the main entrance, mm-hmm. and it's loud in both of them. I warned you guys before we went to Raw back in 2018 about it, but they weren't really doing pyro back then. So sorry about that. And they were in Philadelphia, site of uh, next year's WrestleMania. Nice. Also, site of WrestleMania in 2004. Not 2015. WrestleMania 15 in 1999. What's up, Dill? I saw like an alien thing. There are a lot of signs. See Big Mama 316. And there we see uh, Jim Ross and Michael Cole. That's an interesting announced duo. Um, Michael Cole is generally a play-by-play man. So is Jim Ross. At this time, they're announcing together. I don't know what the backstory on that is for sure. The uh, most famous announcing duo during the Attitude Era is, of course, Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler, Jim Ross, the play-by-play man, Jerry Lawler as the color commentator. But this one is, uh, excuse me, Michael Cole and Jim, uh, yeah, Michael Cole and Jim Ross. Yes. I, I thought I was saying Michael Cole twice, but uh, for a while, Michael Cole would actually take over for Jim Ross, and it would be he and King on Raw, and then Jim would come back. Jim would be in and out of the Federation for various reasons, but he and King are the most iconic announcing duo, and perhaps the best announcing duo of all time. Nice. Probably my favorite duo of all time. Jim would be second on my list of favorite all-time announcers behind Gordon Soley, even though, to be fair, I've seen a lot more programming with Jim Ross than Gordon Soley, but when I did get to see Gordon Soley, I really appreciated his work. I think there's more signs in this one than the last one. I think there's more signs in this one than there are members of the audience from both Ross nowadays. <laughs> I'm not saying they don't still do big business, but this is a big arena full of people, there's and a lot most of, of them have signs. Maybe not most of them, maybe not even the majority, but there's a lot of signs. There's more signs in this like one than people who like the latest walk. To, to hold up for different things. I think somebody's got a sign that says, like, Happy 100th Birthday, Hulk Hogan. 
Cactus Jack killed Tupac. I don't think that's true. <laughs> the happy birthday Hulk Hogan is just ribbing Hulk Hogan, who's who spent most of his career, at least the uh, the the most well known part of his career in the World Wrestling Federation before going to WCW, where he's starring on Monday Night uh, Monday Night Show at this point. And mm-hmm. WF is you know sort of quick to point, hey, our stars aren't you know super old. Which I mean, to be fair, Hogan at this point is probably younger than I am right now, <laughs> but he was fairly long in the tooth for a wrestler, especially back then. Yeah. And we get Steve Austin kicking off Raw with an interview, as we would get a lot during this era. This would be a very common open for Monday Night Raw during this era. How many times am I going to say during this era? He did not bring out Chez, though. Talk about this era. Should I, steal Chez to sit on? I believe that gold necklace that he's wearing, uh-huh. I, it looks like it has a ring or something on it. I don't know the story about that, but the necklace itself was given to him by the late Brian Pillman, who was his tag team partner for a while in WCW, um, probably like 93-ish. And nice. uh, Brian had passed away in October of 1997. And uh, for most of his career, Steve wore that gold necklace. Mm-hmm. That's nice. I don't like the red eyes in the skull on the back of his shirt. I, they make <laughs> it look a little a little too much like the side of a monster truck or a, a, <laughs> a, an 80s album cover. I, I do it without the red eyes. I think it's fine. But he's on the wall. He has to have some I was going to say, it does fit in with the wall stuff. You can see the banner behind him slightly that says... That's a group of signs. Yep. Sorry. Well, I was just saying you can see the banner behind him. It it says Raw is War because back then, Raw was officially two different shows for ratings purposes. The first hour was Raw and the second hour was The War Zone. And collectively, they called them Monday, uh, you know, WWE Raw is War. Mm -hmm. Technically, WWF Raw is War. Mm -hmm. And, And I guess it was better to have the top two rated shows in cable than one highly rated show. Mm-hmm. But it was still one show. But they, they would even officially like sign off and show like the copyright and everything as they went from hour one to hour two. And then I want to say right after the attacks on 9-11, they, they, they dropped the war part. They're like, nah, that doesn't really seem appropriate anymore and just went to just Raw again, which is what it was originally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting outfit. On who? On Vince. It's the blazer yeah. and the dress shirt. You have a lot to say about <laughs> Yes, yes, I do. I'm judging Vince. That's pretty much standard Mr. McMahon attire. Always judge Vince. Always. Unless he was coming out to referee and he had the super tight sleeveless shirt on. The uh, I imagine that the uh, the SWAT team members that are accompanying Mr. McMahon and his stooges, mm-hmm. Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe, are uh, probably like indie wrestlers or enhancement talent. Mm-hmm. I seriously doubt they're real... Correctional officers. Yeah. See, this was Stone Cold so bad, chat. For all we know, there are wrestlers who people would get to know later on, but just haven't heard of at this point. I saw a South Park sign in the back with Kenny on it. Yeah. Of course, Austin holding the belt that's become known as the Big Eagle, which was the successor to the Winged Eagle. The Winged Eagle, of course, as I've said many times before, my second favorite professional wrestling belt as far as just the physical look of the belt. Yeah. This one's not bad. I don't like the blue strap. I like it better when they went to the black strap. And it's really not bad. It's really pretty much just a larger version of the Winged Eagle, but it's a little too big for me. Mm-hmm. It was not a terrible belt, but I'm not in love with it either. <laughs> I got my mind made up. Come on, Brent. All right, that was terrible. I'm not going to try to get some cold impression. Of course, as I mentioned, the gentleman accompanying Vince McMahon were, were playing the roles of his stooges at this point. Uh, Real-life former wrestlers and, and uh, backstage agents. Pat Patterson on the right mm-hmm. with the gray hair with the jacket zipped up with the tie. And, and the dark-haired gentleman is Gerald Briscoe. 
brother, former NWA world champion, Jack Briscoe. He's the person wearing the interesting tie. He is. The mm-hmm. one with the ball spot. Mm-hmm. That's Gerald Briscoe. Okay. The darker haired gentleman. Well, if I'd, already, <laughs> if I'd already identified Pat Patterson as the gray-haired one, and you know Vince doesn't have a tie, if there's only one other person left, that had to be Gerald Briscoe. <laughs> Unless it's like some sort of scraped. At least one time owner of on. Briscoe Brothers Body Shop in Tampa, Florida. What's the, I, I've seen at least two South Park signs. Gerald Briscoe and his brother Jack. Park was popular. Played a big role in Vince's taking over of the territories during his national expansion because they owned a portion of Georgia Championship Wrestling which had the uh, primetime slot on Saturdays on WTBS, which WTBS was one of the first local stations to get put on cable as a super station. And so it had access you know, around the country. Everybody could see it pretty much. So having that slot was a big deal. And they sold out along with a few of the other partners to Vince and allowed him to take over that time slot. And he, uh, like eight months later, uh, Jim Crockett Jr. would buy out the slot from Vince. Mm-hmm. for like a million dollars or so. And, and the story always is that's the last million dollars Vince needed to produce WrestleMania. And of course, eventually Jim Crockett promotions after pretty much going national and fighting against Vince for various reasons, including their own ineptitude, but also Vince's machinations blocking them on pay-per-view and whatnot. We've talked about that before. Would eventually go under and be sold to Ted Turner to begin World Championship Wrestling, which was the last real national competition for WWE. I mean, you could argue that AEW is national competition now but I don't think they're anywhere well they're, I'm sure they're a very successful company and they have a presence and I don't think they're going anywhere or I don't think they're feeble in their mm-hmm. efforts or whatnot. but I just I don't think anybody's at the level of what you know they're not on the verge of being sold for nine billion dollars to another company and being merged with another successful fighting promotion so yeah nobody's at the level that WWE is and probably never will be again at this rate I mean you can never say never but that's AEW's big goal. As we said before, I mean, WWE, they were the last ones to knock the WAF slash WWE into the number two position. They were legitimately the number one wrestling company in at least North America. Well, at least in the United States. I don't want to get into the argument of were they bigger than the Mexican companies. And I mean, I guess they were on some levels, but I guess on some other levels, you could argue that the Mexican companies were bigger, at least within their country. Yeah. But I digress. I don't know enough about that aspect of the business to really speak on it. Yeah. But as far as the major promotion in the United States, you had WCW, you had the WF, and for a time, in 1996 and 1997, pretty much all of 1997, some of 1996, and the beginning of 1998, if not the first half of it, WCW was the number one promotion in the country. Nice. We've talked about that before on previous episodes, and again, during, uh, part of that is during the, uh, or the 83-week win streak would fall into that era as well, which, you know, it's not all determined by television ratings how successful you are, but... yeah. That was in the same time period, of course. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been a wrestler that, like... The big gulp from Vince. And I don't mean he's taking a drink. It's the big the gulp of fear with the big Adam's apple. That, like, typically gets over really well on, um... With crowds and whatnot. But for some reason, it doesn't go as well on TV. For some reason. I mean, probably. I was gonna say, I don't know how to word that question any better. I get what you're saying. They're popular to the live crowd, but they don't pop ratings. Yeah. They're not considered successful or, you know, a ratings getter on TV. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's plenty of examples of that. Yeah. And part of it uh, comes down to how you de- uh, define being successful with the crowd. I mean, it's just about getting the big pop. It's about them enjoying your entrance, that they're, you know, into what you do in the ring. So I'm, 
I'm sure there's plenty of examples of that. Wrestlers who are popular live but don't necessarily get over big on TV for whatever reason. Yeah. And I mean, if the live crowd, if the live crowd likes you, you know, the television crowd or the live crowd for the television show is going to like you. Yeah. But it's more about how the company positions you at that point. They don't necessarily see you as a ratings mover, so they're not going to feature you in that role. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, the response from the live crowd and the success or lack thereof for television ratings, are, they're not really the same thing. It's, it's two different beasts, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, I, I'm not knowledgeable enough about it to really break it down, but I, I do know that just because... And, and even even drawing a live crowd is not the same necessarily as drawing television numbers. It, 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 it's all intermixed to a degree, but they're also all separate. Yeah. And you can also see there's been plenty of times where a company might be doing really well in the television ratings but aren't drawing so well at the arenas or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Like during a large portion of the 83-week win streak, when not only was Nitro winning, but Raw's ratings were falling to you know, relatively low numbers, they were still doing really well at the house shows. They were still making money. Their pay-per-view numbers were still good, but they just weren't getting great television ratings. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it, it's interconnected and it's not. Yes. But yeah, and like I said, I'm sure there's plenty of examples of wrestlers who are popular to a live crowd but don't really get over on television. Feels like we've gone a while without any wrestling. <laughs> that was a uh, very common in this era. A long interview to start out the show, a long segment where somebody would talk and usually would be interrupted, and there'd be some back and forth. Gotta have the filler. That that's pretty much the standard opening for at least Monday Night Raw. Now Nitro would be more likely to start out with a uh, with a hot match, but I. I at various times, they weren't completely head-to-head. Like, for the most part, once they both went to two hours, Nitro would start at 8 and end at 10, and Raw would start at 9 and end at 11. So when Raw goes on the air, it's got competition already. Nitro, I mean, there's other competition from other television networks, mm-hmm. but there's no head-to-head wrestling competition. Yeah. How old is it to me, man? At this point, yes. he's pushing 80. Gosh, I think he's like 78. And he's still fucking writing wrestling stuff. Well, as much as he ever did, I don't. He was never like the nuts and bolts writer. He would yeah. oversee creative and, and say this is the direction yeah. I wanted to go, and he would rewrite a lot of it. And of course, we've kind of been ignoring what's going on at this point. They've they've set up the match. I think Austin said something like, uh, "I can beat you with one hand tied behind my back," and you know, that's going to come into play later as Raw rolls on. We go to break, but we won't see a commercial, of course. Yay! No commercial! But at this point, we've set up the match. It's, you know, hey, I challenge you, Vince. You gotta do it. And There's Patton and Gerald Briscoe. He's got big slits in his suit. Oh, up the side of Vince's jacket? Yeah. The big Bob's big boy jacket. You can really see the, the checker pattern in it that I didn't notice too much in the ring. Yeah. This sort of big, just on this edge of ugly jackets were kind of Vince's... Uh, trademark at the time, especially during his announcing career. And now the new D-Generation X comes out on stage. D-Generation X, as we've said before, started out as Shawn Michaels, Triple H, in China, and for a brief time, Rick Rude was there as their like, uh, bodyguard enforcer. But mm-hmm. with Shawn being out of action after the injury and the one final match at WrestleMania, the night after WrestleMania, DX reformed as Triple H, the New Age Outlaws, who were uh, Billy Gunn and the Road Dog Jesse James and the returning Sean Waltman, a.k.a. X-Pac, who had just been in WCW as a member of the NWO. Mm-hmm. And, of course, with China still on the outside. 
Mostly, of course, she would begin rustling later this year, maybe. We've got a, a a chain match of some sorts here, but not a traditional chain match where you are chained to your opponent. This seems to be where the wrestlers are each chained to a corner. Interesting. This, this was a time, this was coming off the era where WWE had a lot of factions. In fact, as we've said, Survivor Series 90, 1997 had the subtitle Gang Warfare. Mm-hmm. And uh, the gentleman in the... Uh, the leather vests are members of DOA, the Disciples of Apocalypse. And, of course, one of them is fighting on the outside with Billy Gunn from DX. But the other team in the actual match here are uh, Los Periquas, uh, Savio Vega, and I'm not sure who the other member in the ring is. This I mean, It feels like this match stalled really quickly. It but, did. Yeah, well, this was this was the area where you did not have long... You didn't really have long television matches. It was, you know, get in and get out on the matches. And, of course, uh, DX came down just to start trouble they weren't even in the match but I guess they were sort of pseudo feuding with these other factions of course these factions had grown out of the nation of domination which started out as Farouk who you know of as uh, Ron Simmons Savio Vega and uh, Brian Adams aka Crush and then Savio went uh, spun off from the group to create Los Bariquas Crush created Disciples of Apocalypse and then uh, D'Lo Brown Mark Henry and eventually Dwayne Johnson aka The Rock joined the nation of domination hmm <laughs> Of course, you've seen some of that depicted in the Young Rock series somewhat accurately. Oh, we're going to spike pile over here on a chair on the ramp. That took like four people will do. Well, that's why it was a spike pile driver, because the one guy was actually going to pile drive, the other one drove him down onto the chair. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm not sure if I've ever seen a chain match like this other than here. Normally in a chain match, you're chained to your opponent. And oftentimes the goal is to drag your opponent around to all four corners, even though sometimes it's just a pinfall or submission match. They tried it here, did not turn out how they planned, well, I think, never did it I again. Think, I think they just wanted some organized chaos to start off the show. Probably. Just some action and some an excuse for DX to get involved. Um, DX were still heels at this point? They were definitely heels coming out of WrestleMania. And the night after WrestleMania when X-Pac returned and they uh, screwed Mick Foley and Terry Funk out of the tag team championships. They were definitely heels coming out of it, but they would be baby faces before the end of this year. And mm-hmm. they would go back heel at other points, but before the end of this year, DX would be a baby face group. But I, I guess they're still technically heels at this point, uh, although so are the other two groups. So it's one of those things where it's kind of weird because you're going to have heels, wrestling heels, which again, you didn't traditionally have in wrestling usually. Usually matchups are going to be baby faces versus heels. Feels like heel versus heel makes a lot more sense than baby face versus baby face. Well, the spirit of competition, though, if the point is to well, yeah. move up, you don't, you don't necessarily have a grudge match between baby faces, although you can, but also you could have just, it's just a contender match where you're just, hey, you know, it's competition, we're going to compete with the other, try to move up and, and gain the championship spot. Yeah. yeah. But it's like with bad guys, it's like, bad guys have no need to, like, team up with other bad guys. Oh, and a double low blow from China, and DX taking it to Los Bariquas. Uh, we pointed out on our last episode, China's attire, and I just want to, once again, because she was gone from the match by the time we really got to come around, she's got the uh, the handcuffs for the belt. Mm-hmm. Still like that look. A little bit of a dominatrix look for her, I guess. Yeah, I'm not sure who the other member of Los Pericos is. It might be Jose Estrada. I know the one in the red tank top is Savio Vega. Nice. Well familiar with him. He stands out from everyone else. Once known as a TNT in Puerto Rico, I believe. 
chains being taken on. He was the one who was the recipient of the uh, quadruple team, Spike Paul Trevor, at least triple team. Just for your guys' sake, uh, and for anybody watching who's not familiar with it, of course, Triple H is the member of DX with the long blonde hair. He's on the right right now. Short blonde hair is Billy Gunn. China, of course, is the female. Uh, Road Dog, Jesse James, has the backwards hat. And Sean Waltman, a.k.a. X-Pac, is the one that had the uh, long black hair with the red bandana. Nice. And we are back in the locker room with Vince the Stooges and a young Shane McMahon, who just had a really bad moment on WrestleMania. Yeah. I feel so bad for Shane. He was clearly emotional when he came out there. And then to, to blow out his quad in the middle of his big moment after yeah. making his return to WrestleMania, after having the, you know, the uh, the riff with his dad and the rest of creative that caused him to leave the company for over a year. Yeah. But I will say, it was a dandy bit of improv from Snoop and the uh, WWE crew. Yeah. Like Snoop Dogg undefeated at WrestleMania. I know apparently <laughs> at some point the referee was giving Snoop instructions, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody gave him instructions when he, that, that first, when he came in and threw the first punch. I don't know if anybody had had, had time to talk to him at that yeah, point. Yeah, I don't know. And then, of course, the uh, the production crew was able to cue up Snoop's music, and you know the camera crew was following along. This is what it was supposed to be. So, real nice bit of improv from everybody involved. Definitely. Except the Miz. He didn't really seem to do much. He just kind of stood there like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, like that. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. but, but then he took the bump from Snoop and you know went along with it. He didn't kick out or anything stupid, so... Interesting moment, but yeah, I really do feel bad for Shane. Yeah. Ironic that he would blow out his quad, though, after Vince did the same thing at the Royal Rumble in like 2005-ish. It wasn't 2005, maybe 2008. I'm not sure the year that, uh, maybe it was 2005, because Cena and Batista were the last two in the ring that year. And uh, the finish was supposed to be them going out close to the same time but I guess Cena hitting first and they accidentally both hit at the same time so Vince had to come out and restart and Batista would win but Vince would blow out his I guess he blew out one quad and then blow out a second quad but he ended up blowing out both his quads and having to deliver his line to restart the match with him sitting in the corner yeah. <laughs> oh God. and uh, not just a McMahon family tradition but an extended McMahon family tradition Triple H blew out his quad in a tag team match on Raw back in 2001 and he actually finished the match and even let his opponent put him in a version of the Boston Crab, which had to put incredible pressure on that quad. And now Vince is back out there. He interrupted what looked like a, a match featuring some luchadors, which it, are Mexican wrestlers. It's just a rule. If you're a McMahon, you have to tear your quad in the ring. So I guess Stephanie's going to come back soon and tear her quad. <laughs> <laughs> and then Linda... So does like are Stephanie and Triple H's children or Shane's children gonna do the same thing? So does <clears throat> does this rule apply to the McMahon women? Uh, depends on how much they're in the ring. Okay, so it just applies to the McMahon's in the ring. Stephanie is a former WWF Women's Champion. Sorry for it, Stephanie. It only happens in the ring. Okay, it doesn't count if it's not. Saturday, in the ring. I think Vince blood squats on the way to the ring. Ah. But it has to be, like, within a certain... At least one of them went out before he actually got in the ring, or as he was getting in the ring, because he, he slid in the ring and then tried to stand up and couldn't stand up. I think this is when Vince is going to officially accept the challenge for the match in the main event. Nice. Let's see what Vince is saying here. He knows he's about to make a decision here, so, yeah, like I say. And, and the luchadors who were supposed to be in the match, they're just standing outside, like... What, are they, what the fuck's going on, man? We were supposed to have a match. Now this old man's in there. I, I don't know. <laughs> Guess what's the stat here? Yeah. Should we go to the back or should we wait? Are we going to get to do it afterwards? I, I don't know, man. 
Somebody's had their sign upside down. Especially <laughs> Stone Cold Rules, but it says... Well, I guess it'd be backwards because they had it upside down, so it'd be like Cellar Deloc Events. <laughs> Best thing to do at, oh, at a live show to bring like a white bud with a marker. I think it's been done, but then again, I, I don't know if they'd want you bringing in something so big and heavy they might be afraid you'd hurt somebody. You, you okay, somebody he's just bringing the material of a white bud. I don't know. I suppose like if you could, I guess if you could roll it up like a poster. Exactly. And then bam, you can change your sign ammo. And three, you could just laminate your poster. Someone turns heel in the middle of the match. You already got a sign for it. Yep. Easy. First one with the sign. <laughs> Briscoe and Patterson back out. What do you think of that tie? It's a tie. I don't think anything of it one way or the other. It's an interesting choice for a tie. You're just here to really judge done. people's fashion. I am. That is precisely what I'm here to do. It's just got like it's not a bad multiple choice. horizontal stripes. You go back every wrestler's fashion from here on out. You do that. It looks like a pretty standard tie of the era. Okay, more importantly, what do you think about Jim's varsity jacket and Michael Cole's jean jacket? Yeah. Which were the, the, the uh, de rigueur announcer gear at the time. It feels appropriate for each of them. What do you think about his hat? It just looks correct. That also looks correct. Man, Jim's leaving ringside. I think the uh, the conceit here is he's going to try to talk Vince out of the match because he doesn't want to. He's standing around and see right the company destroyed with the owner. Well, getting destroyed by Steve Austin. Oh, that's got to be rough for for Jared to go up the ramp with the lights out. Mm-hmm. Why are the lights out? Is Kane coming out? I don't know. Maybe. There's so I, much. I have no idea what's going on oh, this it's, match. It, it's Taker, yeah. Yeah, I'm with Gobble. This match feels this, like it's just in the background. There's a lot well, happening. Yeah, yeah. And clearly, judging by the fact that I have no idea who any of them are, the Luchadors weren't exactly featured on Raw at this point. They may just be there to take bumps for Taker, who just had a match with Kane after the whole, oh, Undertaker, your brother's alive, storyline that introduced Kane back in 1997 and eventually led up to their first match at WrestleMania 98. Interesting. This I, look for Undertaker is probably my favorite of the Undertaker look. I like him with the hat and everything. Well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm referring more to his actual in-ring gear. Yeah. I, I, if he was actually coming out for a match, he may have been more done up than this. But, yeah, th- this still has a bit of the old-school Undertaker feel, but it's not, like, the modern look, which I never really liked, which was just basically a singlet top and, and long pants, or the mm-hmm. biker look when he was the American badass. This is probably my favorite Undertaker look. Nice. I do like the classic Undertaker look, though, although I prefer the purple boots and gloves to the gray boots and gloves. Tombstone Pile Driver coming up. And no, Undertaker did not name the Tombstone Pile Driver. It existed in wrestling before him, but obviously makes a lot of sense for it to be his finishing move. Yeah. You know, I just fought Undertaker not that long ago in Castlevania. And in case y'all didn't realize, his, his manager for a long portion of... His career, who is now uh, Kane's manager, but Paul Bearer, was a real-life Undertaker. Is his heads are always... Or technically a mortician. I don't know if they're the same thing, but... I believe they're two separate things. What about his head? Is his head just always wet? It's very common for us as to wet their hair before they come out. It's just a good look. And plus, it probably keeps it under control. If it's all dry and frizzy and just flying all over the place, that's probably very annoying. Probably. It's the entire time before his match, he's just staying in the shower. <laughs> no, but you at the wall. water down your head or something right before you go out. <laughs> that's uh, the call. Triple H would literally do it Don't while he was going out. He'd have the bottle of water and spit it and pour it on himself and throw it. 
So he's calling out Kane again. So obviously their saga is continuing. I mean, that guy's lying continued about. for twenty years probably. Wow. Everybody says that Undertaker is the uh, the all time best gimmick in the history of wrestling. Okay. Um, but I'd have to say Kane would have to be up there too, especially in terms of longevity. I mean, I think the guy who played it is a real piece of shit in real life, considering his current political leanings. But as far as a, a character with longevity, it's got to be right up. I think it's Undertaker. I think it's uh, Kane, and I think it's uh, Goldust. We're not actually doing commercials. I was say, it's not a real commercial. It's, it's a sponsored spot where it's like, you know, the Starbucks. Well, two weeks ago. Yeah. Stone Cold's like, Vince, you didn't give me a Starbust. Yeah, Vince did not sell the stunner all that well. He just kind of flops down. I mean, you probably do that a lot more than bounce halfway across I was going to say, which is in contrast to The Rock, who would just bounce way up and flip around. One is by realistic. The other looks a lot better. One's realistic. One's entertaining. I mean, I think if you really had your head jarred and something else short, there'd be a little bit of a pop-up. Yeah. You know, so there's Kevin Kelly, who I believe is the uh, commentator from New... The, the English-language commentator from New Japan Pro Wrestling now. Interesting. And during the break, we have JR back there. He he's apparently wants to talk Vince out of this because he thinks it's a terrible idea and it's going to hurt the company. Mm-hmm. He's not a wrestler. I've made my decision. That's it. I'm going to take back over control. I don't care how good a job Triple H has been doing. It's my company, damn it. Oh, wait. I think that's nowadays, not back then. But anyway. I'm going to get my Starburst back from Stone Cold. Oh, how do we like the lining of Vince's jacket? <laughs> it's like a, a plaid flannel lining inside of it. It's a choice. Well, you wouldn't see much of that, of course, if you had yeah. a jacket on. On the inside of the jacket is something you really like. On the outside of the jacket is what people like. You thought the inside accept. of the jacket was the was the <laughs> no, I'm saying for Vince. I don't think Vince. Vince is, I don't think Vince is a flannel guy. He might be when the camera's off. It's that guy. It's Jeff Jarrett. I have no idea who that is. Third generation wrestling promoter. Uh, founded TNA, which was the first national competition for WWE in the wake of WCW's demise. Oh, one of his J's is out. Did it oh, come back on? Okay. Maybe. Apparently a lot of his suit was out. Yeah. I actually like the out. I, li- I, like the- I like the pleather for one thing. It's very reminiscent of Shawn Michaels' ring gear. Mm-hmm. The suit seems to be very inconsistent on what lights turn on. I'm not crazy about his actual in-ring gear. If, if he's wearing it at the time, we'll see. It- he's got this sort of weird top to his gear that I never thought looked that good, but I like his outerwear for his ring attire. Not, not necessarily top ten, but I appreciate it. Are all the lights supposed to be coming on every time? Or? He, w- I wouldn't even know. But his gimmick at the time was he was supposed to be like a a, a wannabe country music artist. He introduces the world's greatest singer, wrestler, and entertainer. Mm-hmm. That was his gimmick. Actually, he had just come back to WWF not that long before this. He'd had a run with WCW in 96 and 97. It's the legendary, what is that, quintuple ovals? Quadruple ovals? <laughs> Well, on the back, it's on a triple overalls. Yeah, I never liked that look. Although, I, I thought Seth Rollins' gear that he wore to the ring on WrestleMania looked very reminiscent of this. He took it off before he started wrestling, but his top looked very similar I to that. I was going to say, I feel like I called, uh, that is an outfit I could see I called, someone doing modern. I called Seth Rollins' outfit at WrestleMania, half Jeff Jarrett, half Shawn Michaels, all ridiculous. <sighs> I don't know who the other person in the ring is. Uh, the other person in the ring is Taka Michinoku, who was the first... Uh, WWE light heavyweight champion of the modern era. Mm-hmm. Member of Kai and Tai, uh, star wrestler for 
Michinoku Pro over in Japan, and that's Steve Blackman in the split screen, the world's most dangerous man. No, that was Ken Shamrock. So, uh, Steve Blackman was the, what they call him? Not the lethal weapon, the living weapon? Oh, gosh, I can't remember now. Maybe it was the living weapon. Something of that effect. He's another legitimate MMA guy. I was talking, it's a nice crossbody on Jeff. It's like, for all these matches, we only see, like, one person come out, and then the match starts. All those flyers in the ring from Jeff Jarrett's entrance, that's got to be kind of dangerous. Probably. I think that's a slipping hazard. I think Probably. all this is kind of dangerous. And we yeah. should point out really quickly a, a couple things here. The gentleman who was just talking with the announcers, that was um, Robert Fuller, who's part of the famous Fuller-Welch family who promoted wrestling in Tennessee, Alabama, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, had connections with Jeff's father, Jeff Jarrett, and his uh, grandmother, Christine Jarrett, uh, wrestler, manager. He was in WCW as uh, Colonel Robert Parker, but a longtime institution in professional wrestling, especially in the South. And the man in the ring as a referee is Tim White, who passed away in 2021 and just went in the WWE Hall of Fame as the recipient of the Warrior Award. Longtime uh, close associate of Andre the Giant when Andre was in the WWF, he would be like his, I don't want to say his handler, but he would help him out, go around, be his, you know, take care of things for him because the guy that size is going to need some help getting everything lined up. And, you know, I, I assume he lined up his travel and just took care of whatever he needed. And also owned a bar called The Friendly Tap in Providence, Rhode Island, which they talked about during the uh, Hall of Fame. Yeah. They would often shoot vignettes there where wrestlers, especially the APA, Ron Simmons and JBL would tear the place up. And there's a... I'm not sure. I don't think uh, his real name, well, his real name, at least his wrestling real name was Robert Fuller. Mm-hmm. I think he was, well, he was Rob Parker in WCW. I think he was, was he, ten, I think he was Tennessee Lee in WWE. These gentlemen here are the other members of, uh, I think what would become Kai and Tai. Mm-hmm. There are other wrestlers from uh, Michinoku Pro in Japan. Well, I think came in as antagonists of Taka originally, and then he would join them to form yet another faction, <laughs> along with their heel manager, Wally Yamaguchi. It was all about factions at one point. It was. 97 and 98 especially were. Of course, there's always, there's long been factions in wrestling. Um, yeah. At least in, in the 80s and 90s era, going back to uh, the Four Horsemen, of course, and then the Dangerous Alliance, and then, of course, the NWO and WCW in this era really kick-started the faction frenzy once again, and then you'd have DX and uh, the Nation of Domination, as we said, Los Bariquas, Kai and Tai. Did yeah. I say Disciples of Apocalypse? I'm not sure. I said it earlier. A little smirk from Stone Cold. I don't know why, but that cut to the Stone Cold standing into the camera. It was almost like he was posing me. for like a cheesecake, <laughs> uh, a beefcake photo, like... Like, yeah, get sec- a sexy Stone Cold. <laughs> Just suddenly I know a Stone Cold yeah, standing I'm a, I'm a dead into the, the camera. I'm a sexy Stone Cold. Yeah, you like that? All right, now back down to business. About this point. What's going to happen, Steve? Going to settle it right here? Sure, sure. And that's the mm-hmm. bottom line. He didn't say Stone Cold said so. Mm-hmm. I don't, it, it's not real now. He didn't say Stone Cold said so. Zoom into his face. Slowly. And now, and, and now you get the introspective Stone Cold. <laughs> Vince has switched to a, a sweatshirt now. Yeah. Pat going with the short sleeves and the tie. Not Not a good look. I like how that shirt is reacting to the camera. I don't think the camera liked that shirt. It's very rainbowy. I assume just due to technology and the stripes on the Gerald shirt. Briscoe, legitimate hooker, which is a wrestler who could you know, hook you in a hole and take you down. Showing Vince some, some moves there. 
I did not like what the camera was doing. I so loved it. Yeah, stripes were not the friend of uh, Ghostface all television killer? cameras. What, Ghostface Killer? <laughs> no, from Screen. Where? Uh, he's behind those people. Oh. Well, I could only watch. see him they for a few seconds. better watch out. I hope there wasn't a murder on this show. <laughs> I, I know who did it if there <laughs> was. I could see it for a second. All right, here comes <laughs> and Ron Simmons, who was known as Farouk at the time, with the taped-up ribs. I th- yeah, former leader of the Nation of Dom. So this is after... Rock had usurped his role as the leader of the Nation of Domination, and they had kicked him out. Mm-hmm. Again, something we saw depicted with at least a degree of accuracy on Young Rock. Yeah, people thought Rocky sucked at the time. Yeah. But since he's the heel now, that's a good thing. Yeah. You want people to think you suck. If you're a heel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you're not doing your job right if you're a babyface, and that's what they think. South Park fears new episodes. What's with all the South Park I, stuff? Oh, South Park was... It only started like a year before this, and this was the, the initial height of its popularity. Yeah. There's a lot of crossover between wrestling fans and South Park fans? One, Quite possibly. Probably. Two, it's like everything else we do now with all the cartoons. We see a new cartoon, we get obsessed, and we make everything of it. Because I don't see anything else, any other cartoon references in here. How Don't many, how many cartoons crossed over with wrestling fans at the time? It's only South Park. Well, South Park too was you know an Adult Swim type of show, so it was more for a a, a teenage young adult yeah, audience. Yeah, that's than, what I'm, I'm saying. Like South Park. Well, you just say just cartoons, kind of people it. immediately default to like children's programming. True. That's clearly not what South Park is or was. Very much. Very much. And here comes the Nation of Domination, led by. Current Intercontinental oh, Champion, oh my God. Dwayne the Rock Johnson, with it's very, a very shiny Johnson. shirt. And Johnny would be surprised to see that the Rock had hair there. He'd be like, "That's not the Rock. He's not bald. <laughs> it's yeah. the guy from Fortnite." I will scream. Yeah, I'm just curious. And some of y'all know is on the screen right now. Do you think I could carry this segment for a second so I could dip out and come right back? Maybe. You want to talk about that show? Really what do you think about looks that? Looks like you put duct tape. Really what do you think about the purple strap on the Intercontinental Championship? I'm purple. almost positive. I, can't really see I don't it. really like that design. That's the newer design at the time. Uh-huh. Not the classic, a more rectangular design. But uh-huh. it's also got a purple belt, which is mm, it's interesting. That's a very shiny show. It is very shiny. It's probably a bit shinier than duct tape would be, but it is still making me think of duct tape. Not as shiny as The Rock was a couple seasons ago in Fortnite. Oh, when he was turned into chrome. Not Google Chrome. <laughs> I want to see The Rock turned into Google Chrome. What then? No, I, I don't think I don't think that is something I can fathom in my imagination well enough to The Rock's had to Google Chrome colors <laughs> or something. I, I don't. No. Oh I'm going to install Google Chrome and place its icon see, at the rock's head. Wait, you see the whatever it is in the background? And I don't know if it's that color because of the light or if it's just that You mean that the yellow color. thing? Yeah. Can we discuss how terrible that color is? It's not even like just a pure yellow. No, it's like that desaturated like green. I feel like a lot of yellows are not good yellows. Yeah, yellow is one of those colors you have to be picky with. There's like... A very small selection of good shades of yellow. Yellow And then the rest. Yellow is honestly one of the colors with the most bad variations. Yeah. Um, I feel like orange is a bit picky too, honestly. Orange is pretty good for You can have good oranges. That pastel orange on Roblox? I feel like green is 50-50. Yeah, green is... No, okay, wait. Do you prefer the lighter greens? 
the bright greens or the darker greens? Uh, honestly, it depends on how yellow the green is, if it's good or not. Okay, okay so you like... Yellow's green or, or, Yeah, I was going to say, that's another question. Do you like the more blue or the more yellow green? So you like a more blue green. But now, do you like the ones that are kind of pastel, the ones that are, like, dark, I, earthy, or, like, the neon sort of blue-green? Green type? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, see, there's this whole thing, and one of my friends, they really like the darker, earthy greens. I hate those. I like the lighter greens. And yeah, I agree with leaning more towards blue than yellow. <laughs> anyway, we are not discussing wrestling <laughs> so at I, this I point. Feel like, I feel like the People are green, piling up on the rock. I think like the sure. half green, once again, they have to do the yellow being mostly bad because the more yeah, yellow it, it is, the worse it is. Look, okay, a yellow green can work in some situations. Like when I'm drawing trees and bushes, sometimes that's really nice. But just in general, I do prefer a different green. Green is... You know, even though yellow has more bad options, green is my least favorite color. Oh, man, you can dial that number to save up the food. Better dial it with my phone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, it's a 50%. I'm sure that number is still in service. Totally. For whatever this is. Totally. It's only been how many years? I don't know. A while. This is 98. So 25 years. Oh, 20. Oh, yeah, 25. Yeah, 25. We probably said that earlier in the show. Yeah, 25. There's not. Okay, there wasn't as many, um. I guess we're already done with the walk. Yeah, Man, these matches are just coming and going. Like, gosh. Yeah. It's odd. People Just watch like this, this? Question. I don't know who this is. <laughs> this doesn't seem that entertaining. Here's a match for three seconds. <laughs> this is the best L of WWE. <laughs> this feels like it's a very story-heavy one. It's not as much about the matches. It's, <laughs> it's more about a lot of story and setup and continuation and things like it's that. It's like they come out of the like, I don't like you. I don't like you either. Okay, now have a good day. I'm leaving. I don't think they told each other to have a good day. A very gentlemanly rivalry. <laughs> well, my good sir, I do not like your face. I do not like yours either. You know, Vance was almost wearing a coat that would be more fitting for a gentleman. But with those long uh, slits, it was definitely getting those vibes. But the back would have needed to be a bit longer and the sides a little shorter. So, we discussed... Yeah, the, the walk Maddie, is all I have gone. a question for you. That Wait, we, we should uh, pay homage really quickly to Terry Funk, one of the all-time greats in the ring right now. I literally just said I had no idea who this is. Well, you do know. And Lily said... Former NWA <laughs> champion, yeah, ACW champion, uh, uh, brother Lift. to Dory Funk Jr., son Lift. of Dory Funk, and Mick Foley's opinion, the greatest wrestler of all time, legitimately a legendary figure in the world of professional wrestling. And still with us. Nice. But anyway, continue. Okay, so... Oh, I didn't just jinx that. I'm going to get the news right after the show. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, fuck no. me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like the day before you upload the podcast. Oh, well, look, I said when we were recording this now, so I'm covered. <laughs> anyway, um, oh, okay, and, and here's uh, Charles Skaggs, who was Too Cold Scorpio and other wrestling companies, but in the WWF... Again, WWE now. I, I can't help it. Look, the logo back there still has yeah. the F. It's WWE. I only know it. It's WWE. He was That's Flash it. Funk, so they apparently decided that, well, from one Funk to another, we'll team Terry Funk up with Flash Funk. <laughs> and I don't know who these other guys Terry are. Terry Funk legitimately is a Funk. Flash is, well, he's he's a Funk, but only in the WWE. Uh, That's uh, on the left is Jacques Rougeau, the guy with the eye patches, uh, Pierre Colouette. Jacques Rougeau was the Mountie. 
in WWF in the early 90s, uh, son of former wrestler, wrestler, uh, son of a wrestler too. I don't know if it was Johnny Rougeau or Jacques Rougeau. Because I think he's senior. And I think he his son is Jacques Jr., but maybe he's Jacques Jr. And his dad would obviously then be Jacques Sr. And his uncle would be Johnny Rougeau. But part, a sign of the legendary wrestling family from... Uh, uh, what's the what was French Canada? I know. Quebec, okay. right? Sounds correct. Because Montreal is Montreal is the city, and Quebec is the province. Right? I believe so. Sure. Yeah. But uh, at this point, I think I think the name of the team might be the Quebecers. At this point, interesting. And uh, Jacques, as far as far as I know, is retired from in ring competition. Now his son is a wrestler, I believe. But PCO Pierre Carlulet. He still wrestles now and actually has had a bit of a career resurgence in the last few years. Ouch. So anyway, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Okay, yeah. I had a question for you. We discussed this while you were gone. So when it comes to the color green, do you prefer a green that's more yellow or more blue? That's the first question. Prefer a green that's more green, just a nice dark green if I'm going to have green. Okay, so you just like as pure green. If I have to choose between uh, a yellowish green or a bluish green, I'm going to default to a bluish green. But a bluish green doesn't feel as much like a green to me. It feels more like a blue. I feel like the more yellow green is the worse it is. But I'm not a fan of yellow green in general. (laughs) Yeah. So I prefer just a nice green. green. (laughs) I'm sorry. Yellow's fine on its own in certain applications. Depending on the shade. Like half the shade, more than half the shade. Pastel yellow, mustard yellow, and like your average. That was a fun sign in the crowd. Who's Goldberg blowing? Goldberg was in the midst of a fictional winning streak on the other channel right now. This would be his one really big year. You guys have seen Goldberg in recent years when he's come back. He's the other big bald guy with the goatee. Um, but he was uh, on WCW in the midst of a fictional winning streak where he was getting over big time. Around this time, he would have won his first championship, the United States Championship, en route to winning the World Championship in the summer of '98. But this was this was you know the Goldberg Mania year. Mm-hmm. So uh, were we done on the top green? Uh, you kind of already answered the second part of the question. That was going to be if you liked like uh, one of the lighter greens more like a pastel or like a pure green maybe a brighter neon sort of green or a dark green I like like a nice dull green like a matte green is what I mean by dull yeah yeah I, uh, I said that I like the lighter shades of green or like usually. a nice I like a dark forest green that's really mm-hmm. nice that actually might be the best green the more I think of it I also do like some um, light and desaturated sort of greens. Of course, I like more of a blue-green. Gaba said blue-green, but he was unsure about the rest. But hey, apropos of nothing, you guys you guys know what the word controversy means and yes. controversial, yes. right? Yes. Now, could, could you actually define it? Oh, here we see the sign-off here. See, this is what I was talking about. We're signing off of Raw, and we're going to be heading into the war zone, even though it's just one program. But anyway, okay, whether or not you can, I, I when I was out of the I'm room sure for a minute... When I was out of the room for a moment, I had a conversation with somebody, and they said to me straight faced that they did not know what the word controversy or controversial meant, and asked me to define it for them. Did, I did you define it? I did my best. I mean, I, I, I don't know the dictionary definition of it. Obviously, I know what the word means. Yeah. But, but I did my best. I was like, you know, things that some people might find inappropriate, but others don't. Yeah. Things that elicit strong response and, and, and passionate response from people. But, I mean, it's just something you think you would know by now. Yeah. Uh, speaking of members of legendary wrestling families, this is Luna Vachon uh, from the Vachon family, who are also famous, I believe, from the uh, French Canadian, uh, the French section of Canada, <laughs> Montreal, Quebec, Quebec City, that area. 
uh, adopted daughter of. See, I get them mixed up. There were there were brothers. There was Paul Vashon and um. It was Paul the Butcher Vashon and then uh, Maurice Mad Dog Vashon and then their sister, uh, Lillian Vashon, I think. And they were all wrestlers. And Luna here is the adopted daughter of one of the brothers, but I can't remember which one. Nice. I, I may have the name of the female. The, the other Vashon may not have been a. Uh, she may not have been a sister. She may have been the wife of one of the brothers. I apologize. I'm not completely up on my French Canadian wrestling history. And I hadn't read anything about it recently, so it's not fresh in my mind. And here's the official start of the War Zone. We get the whole intro once again. But like I said, it, it was one show. Everybody knew it was one show. This was just more of a ratings thing, so they could boast about having a about having two shows high in the uh, in in the ratings ratings. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know the ratings of shows as they rate. You yeah. know what I'm saying. <laughs> But it also may have played a hand in advertising. I'm not sure. But for whatever reason, we technically had two WWF shows on Monday nights. But it, we literally didn't. It's yeah. not like these matches are way too short. You were not going to get long wrestling matches on TV back then. Those were going to be saved for the arenas and for pay-per-view. It's like, here's a match we're done already. As, as the Attitude Era would go on, you would occasionally have longer matches. And especially if you had a real... A main event match that was going to be more match than angle. So you would get longer, but but by and large, the wrestling matches were going to be short. Speaking of Gold Dust, did I just know? Did he just say, are we in Greensboro for this show? I don't know. That's interesting. I did not realize this was from Greensboro. I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure the closed captioning. No, they said we're from Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what I said about Greensboro. Huh. I don't know either. Or, or, Or did we miss. No, they they were definitely in Philadelphia, right? I I definitely saw some mention about Philadelphia. Yeah. Huh. So what was he talking? About? Oh, oh, I I know. Well, no, I don't. I don't know if the upcoming pay per view was in Greensboro or not. Because the next pay per view would have been. I don't think it was Over the Edge. I don't think it was Judgment Day. What's uh? It might have been Unforgiven. I think Unforgiven was a September pay-per-view at the time. Anyway, Luna, Luna and Dustin had been having a thing, and you know he was he was going through some stuff right now. He wasn't sure what to do with the character. Mm-hmm. So this this you're sort you're sort of seeing the the dying days of the original Gold Dust character, but he would come back multiple times in the original guise of Gold Dust. That's why I say I think overall it's one of the more successful gimmicks. And that's Sable, former wife of wrestler Mark Merrow, current wife of wrestler Brock Lesnar. I'm not sure why I pronounced Brock's name. Brock, that was, how did it? Uh, yeah. Current wrestler Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar. Brock Lasagna. <laughs> Brock, Brock Lasagna. Brock, let's go. Let's go, Brock. The new Pokemon game. <laughs> Pokemon mom hack or something does it replace all the Pokemon with wrestlers. I think I mentioned this before, but the word was around this time, uh, since all the girls were being able to get breast enhancements as part of their deal, Dustin petitioned the office to let him get female breast implants as part of the Gold Dust character, but they passed on that. The walk would probably totally be Geodude Gravel. He's probably happy about it now. <laughs> At the time, it might have been a bitter disappointment. 
Stone Cold lacing up the boots, ready to stomp a mud hole in Vince's ass. So every okay. evolution would be like a different era of the character. Now JR has joined, uh, JR has been joined by Jerry Lawler, <laughs> who uh, recently suffered a stroke. We saw him at the Hall of Fame, but just on a video, so it seems like he's doing all right, but I mean, he's getting up there in age, too. He actually had a heart attack on Raw 10 years or so ago. Yeah. Nearly died then. Yeah. But I guess the conceit here was they had Cole and Jim Ross do the first half of the show or Raw. Mm-hmm. And then had Lawler join Jim for the second half of the show when it became the war zone. I don't know who any of these people are. Maybe they did just call him the lethal weapon. That sounds more right now. It's Steve Blackman. We literally talked about him. That's Jim Cornette with the red shirt on. This is Steve. This is Steve Blackman, and uh, the one of the red trunks is Ken Shamrock, both legitimate MMA fighters currently in the WWE. The man in the suit, the blue suit, is Dan Severn, another MMA fighter who had some fairly legendary matches with Ken Shamrock in. I think it was in UFC. If it wasn't UFC in name, it was some other mixed martial arts promotion. I don't know who the referee is. I apologize. The one with the blue blazer and the red shirt, of course, is legendary manager promoter. Or, yeah, promoter, booker, all-around wrestling savant Jim Cornette, whose podcast I've made y'all listen to probably more times than you would care to recount. (laughs) And the other two wrestlers who are at this time being called the new Midnight Express, which the Midnight Express being the the team that Jim Cornette most legendarily managed, one of the all-time greatest tag teams originally. Well, originally it was Dennis Condry and I think Playboy Randy Rose. Definitely Dennis Condry. But the... uh, Incarnation most people know would be Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton, and then it would be Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane, both under the management of Jim Cornette. But at this point, they had been doing uh, sort of an NWA invasion of WWF, kind of trying to play off what the NWO was doing on WCW. And this team with the really garish blue tights with the gold lightning stripes down the side are being called the New Midnight Express. And I believe it's bodacious... Bob and uh, it's it's yeah Bodacious Bart so that's Bart Gunn in the ring I knew it was Bart Gunn but I couldn't remember the uh, the modifiers for their names you see they had the Emmy on the back for Midnight Express interesting well when people talk about the Midnight Express they're not really talking about this incarnation this this is not the Midnight Express so you guys need to just know that and I see a sign in the crowd that says the lethal weapon so I guess the lethal weapon was Steve Blackman's nickname but that's Bob Holly the one with the blonde hair tagging in who was originally Bob Sparkplug Holly because he was legitimately a race car driver and professional wrestler at the same time and then he would become hardcore Holly and sort of have a reputation for having hardcore matches uh, sometimes teaming with his cousin Crash Holly cousin in name only name in name only his real name was Mike I can't remember his last name but uh, Mike's not with us anymore unfortunately another member of the the wrestling brother and sisterhood gone too young Uh, yeah I can't remember what Bob's moniker was if it's bodacious oh okay bombastic so bombastic bob and bodacious bart in the place of beautiful bobby eaton in sweet stan lane or beautiful bobby eaton and lover boy dennis country this, this is not one of the uh the more fondly remembered times of jim Cornette's career i'll just say that <laughs> real quick uh i did look up the di- the dictionary uh, definition of controversy. Oh, I thought you were still looking up the Greensboro thing. <laughs> you went you went to your iPad as soon as we were talking about that, and I thought that's what you were looking at. I did try to uh, look that up briefly. I haven't gotten that those results yet. However, the dictionary definition of controversy controversy is disagreement, typically when prolonged, public, and heated. 
Okay. And then, uh, let's see if they actually... Yeah, okay, for controversial, it's giving rise or likely to give rise to public disagreement. Yeah, we know what the word means. I just, I, yes, I struggled I just, a bit I to, 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 provide to define it, because it's not something you feel like you need to define that often. It's like, you know what it means, right? <laughs> yeah. How do you go 40-some years and not know what it means? Especially when you use the word. I'm not sure this person's ever actually used the word. I thought they had. In the 20-plus years I've known them, but... No, I can honestly say that I've heard them use it. Now, okay. to be fair, I've had plenty of conversations with them. It's certainly possible that I missed it somewhere. But it's not something I, I, I know of them being prone to say. Th- this role was definitely in Philadelphia. Yeah, I, I, we I found that. Much. that. Let yeah. me see what the pay-per-view was in... Uh, uh, that was one April 26, 1998. Was that Over the Edge or was that the other one? Unforgiven. Okay, else. it was Unforgiven. Unforgiven would eventually become the September pay-per-view. Um, yeah, Unforgiven was in Greensboro that year. And uh, that's right. I remember that now because this was a time when uh, Ric Flair was having a disagreement with WCW. He had missed a show to attend his youngest son's wrestling tournament. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said he had permission. And I'm not sure that Eric Bischoff has denied that he had permission. But at some point, he, he asked him to make the show. And Rick, having already had prior plans, declined to do so. And then he was essentially fired by Eric Bischoff, even though he still had a contract. He couldn't just be flat out fired. But... Mm-hmm. Bischoff's intent was to, to rid WCW of Flair. So Flair was off WCW television in a disagreement with management. And he was actually, as I hear it, in a limousine circling the Greensboro Coliseum waiting for, for word from his lawyer that it would be okay for him to appear in the crowd at WF Unforgiven 1998 with his son Reed with the idea being that uh, one of the announcers would go over and say, uh, we're going to have a, a special interview with a wrestling champion now, and they would interview his son, who just won a wrestling tournament, and just kind of ignore Flair being there, but still have Flair on their television. But the lawyers never came back and said, yeah, you'll be fine doing this, since you're technically still under contract with WCW. So it didn't happen. But yeah, that's I remember that now. Interesting. Yeah, Once again, back to the rainbow shirt. I know Raw would be in... I remember Raw was in... I want to say Charlotte. In... It may have been right after this, but I guess I was 99. Because I was in North Carolina that Monday. I'd driven up to North Carolina and was driving back home. And I knew Raw was in town that night. But yeah, that would have been 99. So Raw was probably in North Carolina the night after Unforgiven, too, but I couldn't tell you where. <laughs> back to that Can that just change the show? No, I love it. The, uh, the, the, it makes the, my eyes uncomfortable. The balding gentleman who was standing over the shoulders of Patterson Briscoe, who's currently out of frame, that's uh, Sergeant Slaughter. Legendary former wrestler, former G.I. Joe figure. And uh, Dylan, you would probably remember him from the Camp WWE cartoons. Yes. You remember Sarge, right? He's appeared at multiple cons in this area. Well, you got to do something once your ring days are over. I find over. hilarious that he was in G.I. Joe. I, I don't know that. We, I don't think we've ever been Supposedly, at that's what caused him. He, he was legitimately probably. Okay, Jimmy Snook was probably the big guy in the WF before Hogan got there. And then Hogan was the big guy. But number two right behind Hogan was Sergeant Slaughter. And then he had that deal with Hasbro for his GI, for his likeness in G.I. Joe and for the G.I. Joe figure. And he had a better deal with them than the WF wrestlers had for their action figures. And the, the issues over that are what caused him to leave the company at the time when he was probably legitimately the second most popular wrestler in the company. Wow. Interesting. And then he wouldn't return until like late 1990 to do a... Uh, a traitor gimmick where he would pledge his allegiance to Iraq in the uh, in the uh, early stages of the Gulf War and to set up the match with Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania in 1991. 
I don't know. I don't know if we've covered that much here or not. So, NGI Joe, what did he do wrestling moves? I don't know, Dylan. Because when I watched G.I. Joe, I wasn't a wrestling fan. <laughs> my G.I. Awesome Joe days and my wrestling <clears throat> fan days didn't really cross over. I kind of grew out of G.I. Joe into wrestling. So I only knew Sergeant Slaughter as a G.I. Joe character. <laughs> I'm sure my parents might have mentioned, yeah, oh, he's a wrestler. Or, or my friends might have mentioned he's a wrestler. Because my friends were all wrestling fans. So I'm not sure why we didn't partake in wrestling together until I got older. But We didn't watch some G.I. Joe, see if he ever like suplexes someone or something. Uh, maybe. I mean, it's not live action. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So he was drawn into it, so. I mean, could animate a and, and yes, I did have the Sergeant Slaughter action figure, before you ask. Do you still have it? I don't think so. We do have some odd boxes of toys uh-huh. that I took out of my mom's attic when she moved out of my childhood home. But I, I haven't noticed it in any of the toys we've been through. Okay, well, here comes Kane. The storyline brother of Undertaker. Not nearly as cool as Undertaker. Accompanied (laughs) the ring by the late Percy Pringle, a.k.a. Paul Bearer, real-life mortician, real-life wrestling manager. Yeah, I believe uh, at the pay-per-view coming up, Unforgiven is when Kane and Undertaker had the Inferno match where they had the ring ropes lit on fire. Mm Mm-hmm. If that piques your interest, maybe we can watch it for the next episode or something. I don't know if I've ever seen it. You don't know? I, I was I actually went through... Because I got a lot of wrestling pay-per-views as a kid. There were some years where I got every pay-per-view that was available. Now, again, to be fair, when I first started watching wrestling, there were like five WCW pay-per-views and four WF pay-per-views. And, and mm-hmm. WF would expand to five with King of the Ring. and, and, and But by this time, each, show was, uh, each company was doing a pay-per-view every month. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, you'd get two in a month. From one company. And then ECW was also doing pay-per-view at the time. So there was a lot out there. But even with that being said, we would get a lot of pay-per-views. There were probably years where we got at least one pay-per-view a month, if not more. But for some reason, we did not get a lot of WF pay-per-views in 98. Even though this was probably the year when I started getting more into WWF than WCW. Like, I liked both of them. I, I was initially more of a WCW fan. Then when Hulk Hogan came to WCW, I started becoming much more of a WWF fan. Then in, in uh, the wake of the NWO, I, I started watching more WCW, but watching both. And then in you know '97, well, I mean, heck, I really I was a big Shawn Michaels fan. He had his first big title run in '96, so I was watching a lot of WWF then. But that's also when the NWO kicked off, so Monday nights got really interesting for WCW. And then in '97, I probably gravitated more toward WCW, even though I don't necessarily think, by and large, the shows were that great. It was just like, what's going to happen? But then by 98, I was start, starting to shift back toward WWF because I just liked what was going on there better, by and large. But for whatever reason, did not get a lot of WWF pay-per-views in 1998. I, I, I went through the list of how many pay-per-views I got from each company every year during my peak fandom years. And I think I got like one WWF pay-per-view in 98. It was Survivor oh. Series 98. No, two, because we got SummerSlam that year because that was the Steve Austin Undertaker main event. Wow. In, you know, just wise, his name is like a pun, like the Paul Bell. Oh, yeah, you didn't realize that? No, I just realized that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> just click Wow. I mean, I don't think... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, it was. I don't think about... Glad you got that, finally. I don't think about the, the, the Paul Bell much. <laughs> you took a minute, Gabba. I don't think about Paul Bell much. That's like, you, Oh, Gabba. yeah, Paul Bell's. Think about him every day. Yeah. 
Um, going back to the pay-per-views, I think part of the thing was WCW had a reputation for having much better shows leading up to the main event. They had a lot, they had a much bigger roster and by and large they had better wrestlers so you got a lot more good wrestling matches leading up to the main events of the pay-per-views. Then the main events often weren't that good in the ring but they at least had a storyline you were interested in. Whereas the WWF pay-per-views, they had a much thinner roster and they didn't have as many good wrestlers. Mm-hmm. So their undercard would not be nearly as good, but the main events would usually be much better in the ring. But then it's like, do I really want to pay for just one single match, basically? Yeah. And sometimes you would, and sometimes there, it's not to say there wasn't good stuff on the undercard, but by and large you would get more depth on a WWE pay-per-view. Shiny. Yeah. A little bit. Well, when he was turned facing foot, very shiny. That's uh, Sean Morley, a.k.a. Val Venus, another guy who I've heard is a real asshole in real life. But, um... Yeah, he was doing a porn star gimmick back then. He'd be like, hello, ladies, and come out with the towel and whip it around. A lot of double entendres in his vignettes. Odd gimmick. Yes. Well, I mean, it fit at the time, for sure. It was it was definitely not something that was going to lead to the main event. You were never going to have a porn star main event in WrestleMania. What are we missing in, in our ring? A porn star character. But it definitely fit for the time, for sure. I don't like the vibes. I, I like the character. I was fine with it. Bad vibes. I'm sorry. <laughs> he did. He participated. Uh, we saw Kai and Tai, proto Kai and Tai earlier. There was a deal where uh, Val here was hitting on the sister of the manager of Kai and Tai, Wally Yamaguchi. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like it. So Kai and Tai kidnapped him and they tied him up backstage and intimated they were going to chop off his penis with a sword. And it, 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 they had this really bad stereotypical dialogue. Where it was like, "I chop your pee pee," and they like they they went to block and did it, and and, and and you heard and you saw the sword come down and you heard it like hit the block, and then but Val came out later and he was like it was cold back there, so there was shrinkage, so he missed. Look, it wasn't. A high, I'm not saying everything was good back then, but it was. I, I'm telling you what was. I'm not saying this was great, but you got to know what happened. You got to know the good with the bad. Who who is writing this? Vince Russo. Why? And Ed Ferrara. Dub <laughs> has a lot because of questions. It, because, for them. because by and large it was working. They they overtook WCW in the ratings. It wasn't WWF, good, but it WWF worked. WWF was hotter back then than they ever were in the past or ever would be in the future. And I mean, you know, it wasn't necessarily because of all that writing, but it did play a hand in its success. I mean, a big part of the success was the character Stone Cold Steve Austin and his byplay with the evil Vince McMahon character, but... Yeah, I mean, they did it because it was working. And, 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 when, and when what you're doing is working so well, you can do more stuff that isn't necessarily always the best, but you have that leeway. Look, what you're doing is making us a lot of money. It's getting over at the top. So if you want to do some stupid shit early on, we'll give it a try. Why not? You you get that. Success brings you that leeway. And I mean, you know, you can argue how much of the success was Vince Russo's creation. We saw him and Ed Ferrar go to WCW to head creative there in late 99, and they completely fell on their face, and they've never been successful anywhere else. But they were hot back then. How hot's Triple H right there? Mm. What do y'all think? Okay, so Daba has no thoughts. So, so uh, this is completely shallow, I realize, but who's the best looking one in the ring? I have no we, idea. We have Triple H, we have Billy Gunn, we have Sean Waltman, we have Jesse James, and China. Take your pick. I'm um, not or Timmy sure. White, if you like the if you like, 
you know, the the uh, the rotund New England fisherman look. I feel like I have a lot less choices than Alex here. Well, now you can appreciate the way somebody looks. Well, yeah. How many people are in the ring? What's including the referee? Six. Yeah. I have six choices. Same. <laughs> I have like one choice in the ring. And it's Triple H, of course. Of course. <laughs> the late Owen Hart, of course, we've talked about before, would pass away in a tragic accident in the WWE ring uh, a little over a year after this. Youngest brother, Brett the Hitman Hart, currently in a feud with Triple H and DX at large. We saw their, their interplay at the Royal Rumble earlier in 98. We didn't see it in 98. We saw it just a few weeks ago on the yes. podcast. I definitely didn't see it in 98. I would have only seen it in replays. Cause again, oh, I, I, didn't, I, did, I didn't get the pay-per-view. Uh. Like I say, two WWE pay-per-views. That year. In WC, look, in WCW, I got, let's see, I got Sold Out, which was the January pay-per-view. I got Super Brawl, which was the February pay-per-view. Let's see, I didn't get Uncensored in March. I didn't get Spring Stampede in April. I didn't get Slamboree in May. Did I, get Greater, I didn't get Great American Bash in June. I got Bash at the Beach in 98. Uh, I got Road Wild in August. Bash the Beach for the July pay per view. Didn't get the September pay per view. Didn't get did get the October pay per view because that was Halloween Havoc. Then I got starting. So I got six WCW pay per views that year. Literally half their pay per views. I got two W WWF pay per views. Although I would say at the time that WWF was my favorite of the two promotions. Although I liked I still like WCW in '98. '98 is the year they kind of started to go off the rails, but it didn't really manifest. For the fans until '99, so I still really enjoyed WCW too. Okay, but honestly, the referee might be the best choice. I was thinking these people, you know, they're like, you know, what? that referee may have been the best. Out of all these, you choose the referee. <laughs> Matt, who's your pick? But China, I always thought China was hot. Even before she had all the, even before she had the breast enhancements and the plastic surgery on her face, I always had, I was, I was like muscular women. I thought that was a good look. I don't get me wrong. I like you and the rest women. of the internet. I like pretty much, I like pretty much women. Period. <laughs> but I'm gonna appreciate whatever anyone. You has and to offer. the rest of the internet. <laughs> what about you, Gava? Settled on Triple H over there. <laughs> so yeah, all well, these are the waffles. Well, look, even if you're not bisexual or pansexual like Alex and I are, you can still appreciate the way somebody looks. Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously. I very much appreciate how Legolas looks. Hawk and Animal, one-time Road Warriors, one-time Legion of Doom, current Legion of Doom, or LOD 2000, accompanied in the ring by uh, Tammy Fitch, a.k.a. Sonny. These are definitely the waning days of the Legion of Doom, once upon a time the baddest tag team in professional wrestling. And then we go back to the ring to see Vince McMahon pumping up. I'm assuming we're going to commercial. Because okay. if not, why weren't we paying attention to what was going on in the ring? Yeah, not important. You think we're for wrestling? <laughs> and why were LOD out there? I guess because they were having... And while they halfway with, through the match? With the new age out. Well, I mean, that was a commercial break. That was three minutes of real time. Clearly yeah. something was going to... It's not like nowadays where the wrestlers come out and they just stand at ringside for three minutes during commercials. Then they start wrestling. People are complaining they weren't seeing enough of the match. Although, although they will, apparently it, is pretty, apparently it is pretty common on Raw now, and maybe even SmackDown, to start a match, then immediately go to commercial, and then come back and have like two more minutes of match, and then we're done. 
Interesting. Wow. I hear uh, Jim and Brian complain about that a lot on the experience in the drive-thru. Please, do the commercials between the matches. Well, that's when they have to fill in some of the stuff. Okay, LOD at this time are wearing, uh, they're wearing their trademark shoulder pads, but they only have spikes on one shoulder. Now, the classic LOD look is the black shoulder pads, which are basically like football shoulder pads with the big silver spikes on them. When they came to WWF in late 1990, they went to red shoulder pads with the black spikes. And even though people say that looks phonier, I really like that look. I thought the black and red trunks with the red shoulder pads with the black spikes looked really primo. That's actually my favorite Road Warrior slash Legion of Doom look. I don't know how familiar you guys are with any of the looks, but from the little bit you've seen, and at least seeing this version, what do you like better? I'm not sure how familiar I am with any of it. I don't like this one, though. Why is that? It looks plastic. Just try to... Well, yeah, the shoulder pads are plastic. It looks too plastic. They're like football shoulder pads. What do you think they're made out of? I think football players are going out there wearing titanium shoulder pads? (laughs) Or rubber? I mean, what what are they going to be made out of? Is it look... Okay, you can have plastic and not make it look too plasticky. But it's not supposed to look like anything else. That's literally what the pads are. It's well, the yeah, spikes that are supposed to look realistic. It doesn't. It doesn't. Look I mean, that's what the pads I would be. I don't like the singular. It spike. looks too plastic. And actually, the original version of the Road Warriors, they just had like leather vests with like the little studded spikes on it. They looked very, you know, seventies gay nightclub look. <laughs> Not where I would have gone with that description. It was a very homoerotic look. I still have not okay. seen Ghostface since that first time. I could. I've got a. It was just a brief apparition. I've got a George Napoleotano photograph book downstairs. I can show you some of the old Road Warrior looks. I mean, I guess it was supposed to be like Mad Max sort of inspired, mm-hmm. sort of just like biker dude. But I know nothing about Mad Max. It 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 definitely looks like some well, sort I know of it. <clears throat> gay biker fetish. Like I say, the spike shoulder pads were the best. And the red ones, I don't care what anybody says, they were the best. Road Dog Jesse James, son of the legendary wrestler um, Bob Armstrong. What? I saw someone look like a wobble chicken in the bomb light. Okay, well, say it out loud so everybody can hear. Don't I mean, the ref just kicked don't just Don't just, like, uh, make it an aside to Alex. Share it with everybody. If you've got thoughts, share them with the well, whole class. Well, it's gone at this point. I like Billy Gunn's boots. Apropos of nothing. Good choice. I, well, I, I like the more distinctive-looking wrestling boots. I wasn't a big fan of the cowboy boots. I wasn't... I didn't have anything against them, but the, the traditional wrestling boots, they're just standard. Sting's boots were a little strange, but at least they were different. But I like Sean's boots a lot, and Billy's boots look a lot like Sean's boots. I, I hear he was quite influenced. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the classic Ric Flair face-first bump. <laughs> Questions? Mothering. <laughs> Billy's uh, with AEW now. He doesn't wrestle. He might wrestle here and there, but he's not an active wrestler. But his sons, I think they're the current AEW Tag Team Champions. And Billy's actually gotten over really big in his association with the tag team, The Ascension, I think is their name. I apologize if I got it wrong, but I don't actually watch AEW television. Not because I have anything against them, but because I don't have TN- or TBS or TNT, because I don't have cable. Mm-hmm. Fuck paying for cable. <laughs> but uh, it, Billy's gotten over big because of his association with one of the other younger... T- Is it The Ascension? That seems right. I have no idea. Um, but anyway, they have this big thing. You guys might have heard of it somewhere else. They, uh, they call him Daddy Ass and Scissor Me Daddy. I don't know. I'm, I know. I know it's made it its way into other bits of pop culture, so I thought you might have... It's not in my Seen it in a short on TikTok or something. But in this case, scissoring is just like 
doing like the Spock symbol and putting your fingers together. It's not like the sexual kind. Con- I mean, I'm, I'm sure they, they are playing on the sexual connotation, but they're literally not I, at the same time. I have more questions. Especially in scissoring, you choose something two girls do, not two guys. I mean, two guys, they're just going to hurt their balls. Let's just be <laughs> honest. Yeah, Timmy White back in the ring again. Did he like referee? Oh, no, because we had that blonde referee earlier. Lots of photographers at ringside, too. That's something that would disappear over the years. Owen Hart had a real reputation as a high-flying wrestler earlier in his career. and You know, the longer he went in his career, both because he'd had injuries and to preserve his career, he wouldn't do nearly as much high-flying. But yeah. always had a reputation as an outstanding wrestler. And uh, I can't necessarily back that up because I haven't seen a whole lot of... A lot of Owen's best stuff would have come in, like, Japan and Europe and back in Calgary for his dad. So I, I've really only gotten to see the Owen Hart in the WWE. And his matches there were fine. And some of his matches with the Brett were really great. But you don't necessarily see the best wrestling from somebody on the big stage in WWE. It's yeah. just, just not the product they're presenting, by and large. Which is not to say there aren't good matches and even great matches on WWE programming. Even back then and now, it's just you're not necessarily going to have your, your, the greatest all-out classic wrestling matches are probably not going to occur. In the WWE product. <laughs> Billy Gunn with Mr. Ass on his sights. Although back then he was just the badass. Well, he was badass Billy Gunn. And then it sort of slid into Mr. Ass. But that that was... The Mr. Ass was more when he was a solo wrestler after this. <laughs> he was a, he, I'm pretty sure he was still officially badass Billy Gunn at this point. Which is a cool name. I think so, anyway. I, I, had, a, I, had, a, I had a fantasy wrestler named Billy Badass. I don't like his haircut. <laughs> which is just... A name for, and in general, somebody who's he either is a badass or thinks they have, they're a badass. Oh, you're just a regular Billy Badass, but it was a cool name. Still don't like his haircut. Well, you don't have to wear it, although you have had a haircut very similar to that. I'm just saying. Yeah, I didn't care for the home. And, and like Hawk and Animal, they just both have crew cuts. Hawk and Animal are the Legion of Doom. They just have crew cuts there, but traditionally... What they uh, just hit us at the, the entire match? Uh, they're in the middle of a feud with the New Age Outlaws over the WWF Tag Team Championships. The Outlaws had, or Championship. There's two belts, but it's a single championship. Mm-hmm. The Outlaws had won it from the Legion of Doom back in late 97, and then LOD had come back and won a Battle Royal at WrestleMania 98 to earn a title shot, which I guess they would get at the upcoming Unforgiven pay-per-view, although they wouldn't be successful. But yeah, they were just out there because they're in the middle of a feud with the Outlaws. Okay. But as I was saying, um, traditionally Animal, who's the shorter, stouter member of the Legion of Doom, he had a mohawk, and Hawk, the taller gentleman, had a like a reverse mohawk where he had the two stripes down the side of his head, but nothing in the middle of the sides. <laughs> it looked badass back then, trust me. You know, the big jack dudes with the oh, face I paint. I like mohawks and, that much. I like mohawks box. rock. Hawk and Animal both no longer with us as well. Uh, Animal just passed away a couple years ago. Hawk's been gone since like 2000, I want to say 2003. If I'm wrong, I apologize, but it's been considerably longer that Hawk's been gone than Animal. <laughs> Here we go. I believe we're getting set up for a minute. Owen just casually passes him in the back. Stripes! They were. Pan? They, they weren't reacting to the camera as much, but a little bit on the side. You've been watching that. a little, a lot of uh, We Bear Bears with Johnny lately. And for one thing, watched a couple episodes last night that I don't think 
maybe it was last, maybe it was the night before, but a couple of those that I've never seen before, or or, or I hadn't seen on this latest. Johnny and I have rewatched it twice now. We we started like in the middle. Well, we started at the beginning, but we were just watching it at odd times, and then uh, when it was time for him to settle down, we started watching it at night. And we watched from the middle all the way through, back to the beginning, and then back through. And now we've since caught up to where we started again, uh-huh. where we started back. Um, but yeah, and, and most of the episodes I recognize either from having watched them with you guys originally or watched them with Johnny in the rewatch. But I saw a couple of episodes and I'm like, I've never seen this episode. Including one where Ice Bear gets hit on the head and he isn't Ice Bear anymore. He doesn't have that Ice Bear. He like talks like all fast and he's like, hey dudes, what's up? And oh God. He, he's going to leave the cave because he doesn't think his brothers are cool enough. And he's like, we're not brothers. We're three different kinds of bears. And he grows his hair out. and Yeah, it's bizarre. I didn't like it. <laughs> I but, saw that one on the No, I'm sure. And there, were, there were like three episodes in a row that I don't remember. So maybe he watched them without me one night for some reason or we just accidentally skipped them. But yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but the point I was getting at is I find it interesting that... This is buff. Yeah. Well, and a lot of these people are. That's not even the most jacked you'd see, Vince. As he would start to appear on uh, camera as a performer more and more, he'd, mm-hmm. he'd, he'd get even more jacked. I think it's less that Vince is buff and, Vince, and it's more that Vince is surprisingly buff. Well, yeah. I mean, Vince was a bodybuilding <clears throat> enthusiast. And he was probably on steroids, like a lot of the wrestlers. Say, so what was with bodybuilding and whatnot during this time? I feel like a lot of the older wrestlers is super buff. Well, I mean, part of that was just... Well, part of that is just the nature of the business. The bigger oh, yeah. the body, the more the attraction. I mean, you think, hey, bigger guys are going to be stronger. That makes more sense that they could dominate a physical sport. And that was also partly just Vince's predilection, too. He liked the big body guys. Uh, but back to We Bear Bears. Right? Before <laughs> he liked the big body guys. Buff We Bear Bears. No, I just think it's interesting that Grizz and Panda, when they talk to each other, they call each other Grizz or Panda or Pan Pan. Uh-huh. They never call Ice Bear Ice Bear. They always oh. call him Lil Bro. Interesting. And and nobody ever calls Ice Bear Ice Bear. Maybe, Only maybe Ice Bear calls Ice Bear Ice Bear? Yeah, maybe once or twice there's a reference, but as far as their friends that interact with him regularly, nobody ever calls him Ice Bear. Then what do his friends call him? Interesting. Or do they not afford really? Them? Yeah, they're just, they might be like, hey, if they're talking to him as a group, and about you, or, but yeah, they don't. Ice Bear calls himself Ice Bear, and they just call him Lil Bro. Even <laughs> when they were babies, in the baby episode, not, not that atrocious Baby Bear series, but the, the baby episodes of We Bear Bears, they just call him Lil Bro. We Bear Bears, is, is it, it was only debatably canon, even. Probably not canon. And like, Feels uh, like its own thing. Tapes, Ranger tapes. I've, I, I kind of got a thing for rewatching. Re, rewatching We Bear Bears. I kind of got a thing for Ranger tapes. I got to get my wife to do a Ranger tapes cosplay. Oh my god! But um, she calls Panda Stripes. She calls Grizz Grizz, and she doesn't call Ice Bear anything. Yeah. Uh-huh. She, you know, so it's just weird. I don't know if his canon name is even Ice Bear. I mean, he calls himself Ice. Bear. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's just weird that nobody else calls him. That. It's his name. Just nobody else uses it. Okay, well, sorry about that aside from We Bear Bears. I mean, to be fair, I do have the bears tattooed on me you somewhere. Do. I do, yeah. They're they're either right there or on the other side. Do think, you see them there anywhere? I think they're on the other side. Other side, Dill? Bears? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I have them tattooed on my left armpit. All right, here we go. Steve Austin and Vince McMahon. I guess the championship is officially on the line, too, since the referee's holding it up. Blue. Now, I do believe, yep, if he wins that title, so I guess officially it's a title match. And for the record, Vince would be WWF champion in September 99. After Triple H won his first championship from Steve Austin, and he and Vince were having a feud, 
not exactly a recreation of the Stone Cold Vince feud, because in this case, Triple H was the heel. But uh, they'd have sort of an impromptu challenge like this that would actually go forth in the match, and Vince would beat Triple H for the championship. Of course, Vince would make himself <clears throat> champion. But to, to, to his credit, though, I mean, he did give it up like the next week and set up a six-way match at the pay-per-view that September where Triple H would win it back. So it wasn't like he had a long run with it or anything. It was just kind of stunt booking. And I mean, it got over at the time, man. It's it's not it's not something that's looked back at like, oh, that's such a terrible decision. Like when the actor David Arquette was made WCW champion, or when Vince Russo made himself WCW champion. Hmm. All right, I think at some point here, Vince is going to insist that uh, Steve tie a hand behind his back because I think Steve has said I could whip your ass with one hand tied behind my back. That's probably what Vince is getting ready to say here. He says, "There's just one thing." You, yep, you said you could beat me with one hand tied behind your back, so they're going to have Steve tie his hand behind his back. And, yeah, so I'll oh, come on, I, yeah, whatever. I think Pat's tie is untied. He might, just go, he might just be going with the short sleeves now. Interesting. No, I think the tie is still there. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm very curious about Pat's tie right now. Because I hate the short sleeve. Yeah, no, it's untied. It's untied. <laughs> it's like he's had a few drinks there at the reception afterwards. Or at the bar after work. Interesting. Real quick, you brought up having uh, the Bears tattooed on you. Yes, I'm going back to the Bears. Uh, I, I looked because I said I had prints of the Bears. And I was curious for how much time I've spent drawing them. This is really weird. I spent about two hours each drawing Grizz and Panda. 16 hours drawing Ice Bear. He's literally all white. <laughs> exactly. He just lines. <laughs> well, this, this was a lineless, more 3D-esque style. But apparently I spent 16 hours drawing him. Uh, he does have his axe, at least. I probably spent some time trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Oh, what's happened? Um, well... Little whoop is happening. Okay. That's an option. I'm giving Austin just enough rope to hang himself with. The goatee that Austin was famous for, that actually came from um, the King of the Ring, the one where he would utter the infamous Austin 316 promo. He caught a shot from Mark Merrow, former husband of Sable, the current Mrs. Lesnar, and split his face open, and he has a scar from it, and he grew out the facial hair to cover up the scar. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what, that's how I recall it. Now, don't hold me to that. I mean, I wasn't there. I wasn't an intimate friend of Steve's, but I, I believe that's why he ended up going with the goatee. He might have only had the mustache then. You know what's even sadder about having spent 16 hours on it? Well, that also doesn't sound right. Maybe it was before the King of the Ring that he did that. Because I think he had the, the mustache and goatee, but he may have only had the mustache. But I- anyway, that's the story I've heard is that he grew out the face hair to cover up the scar. I'm sorry, continue. Let's say what's even sadder about 16 hours on Ice Bears, I'm pretty sure Grizz is the first one I drew, and I used the base of him for the other two. <laughs> it took me 16 hours to draw Ice Bears. Why did it take you so long? I don't know. Need to, like, leave. Need to, like, do, like... A little bit, leave for like an hour, come back. I doubt it. I mean, of the three Wee Bear Bears, Ice Bear would be the most successful wrestler, right? 
Yes. There is an actual wrestling episode where they go down to Mexico and they do Lucha Libre for a time. They would all be great wrestlers because they're freaking bad. <laughs> oh my god, Johnny gets tired of me saying that we're watching it and they like have an issue with somebody and like they cower away or they can't deal with them. Like, you're fucking bears. Just eat them. You're three of the most, well, at least the grizzly bear and the polar bear. I don't know how dangerous a panda bear is. I, I don't think this eating one is morally correct. That dangerous. I, no, but I'm just, you know the point I'm getting at. You're a bear. I think you can win the fight. I mean, a bear doesn't have to eat you to beat you. But let's be fair. I would not. I can tell you, pandas are probably the least intimidating bears. Yeah. They can better keep themselves. I don't know if y'all are aware of this or not, but there are legitimate wrestling bears, or have been over time. Pardon? Yeah, there are professional wrestling bears. Tell me, a bear's got suplex a man? No, but they'd get in there and they'd, they'd, you know, wrestle around with the guys. Guys have actually wrestled bears. Bob Holly, who we saw earlier on in the match, he wrestled a bear earlier on in the match, earlier on in the show. And uh, Terrible Ted was one of the famous wrestling bears. He used to actually, he used to work for Brett's dad's promotion in Calgary, and then he would, like, uh, live under their porch while he was in town. Yeah, I don't know all the specifics of it. I, I assume maybe they have a muzzle on, but maybe not. But, I mean, they're trained to go in there and interact with the humans. Like, yeah, they're not going to do anything crazy, and you're not going to get the bear to do anything that it doesn't want to do. But, yeah, wrestling bears was a legitimate mm-hmm. bit of entertainment at times in the wrestling business. Choices have been made. And uh, Matt Bourne, when he was uh, the one-time Doink the Clown, when he was Big Josh in WCW, he brought a couple bears down to the ring with him one time, but nobody wrestled them. Those were not They weren't workers, bears. yeah. And of course, we're coming to our conclusion here. We're actually not going to have a match. <laughs> These two would finally wrestle at... Um, Almost a year later, at St. Valentine's Day Massacre in February 1999, they'd have a steel cage match. They would see the debut of Paul White, a.k.a. The Big Show, in WWF. But at this point, it's all just an angle to set up Mick Foley and his uh, dude love persona as the next challenger for Stone Cold's championship. Yeah, here we go. Dude loves music's playing. Mick's coming out as the dude who was his... That This was uh, Mick's fantasy wrestler when he and his friends when he was in college they made some wrestling not even videos it was actually on film but some wrestling movies and he was dude love so you know the the, the cool guy sort of mm-hmm. he, he described him as like Shawn Michaels character would be but that was his fantasy character and then of course he spent most of his career as Cactus Jack and he came to the World Wrestling Federation as Mankind and then in 1997 uh, after they'd shown some clips of his movies during this landmark interview series that he and JR had done on Raw, they decided to have him be Stone Cold Steve Austin's mystery partner as Dude Love, and that 97 was sort of the summer of love, and he would have a few with Triple H that would see him wrestle as uh, Mankind and Dude Love, and the character would largely go away after that summer, but of course we saw him make an appearance at the Royal Rumble in 98 that we watched earlier this year, but always as a baby face, and this is when a dude's going to make his heel turn. Because right now he's out, uh, supposedly as the peacekeeper, trying to say, you guys don't need to fight, we don't need to do this, you know? <laughs> and I think at some point Austin's going to push him out of the way or bump into him, and that's when the dude's going to turn on him and we're going to set up the series of matches they had, one and Unforgiven, one and Over the Edge. I like you. <laughs> oh, who doesn't? <laughs> he's great. Wow. He's got a podcast. Nice. I'd recommend it, Foley's Pod. Nice. 
One of the few podcasts. I don't really listen to that many podcasts anymore. I listen to Cornette's two podcasts. I listen to Folio's pod. I definitely don't listen to a lot of podcasts. When Bruce Pritchard can be made available to do a new episode, I'll listen to something to Russell. And I'll occasionally listen to Tony Schiavone's podcast, What Happened When. And other than that, I don't really listen to any podcasts anymore. Not even ours. I do not listen to any podcasts. <laughs> I can't listen to ours. I don't want to listen to myself. Oh, yeah, okay. okay. This is how... This is, I mean, I listen to ours when I'm editing it, but yeah. then I lived it. I don't need to listen to it again, you know? Yeah. I'm not suggesting somebody else shouldn't listen to it. But yeah. This is where you see it. It wasn't even that, that Austin went after Mick. It's actually a setup because first Vince pushes Mick down and then Mick goes after him. And then I think he's going to turn on Austin when Austin comes over. Then bam, here we go. So I guess the evil McMahon had gotten to the good-hearted dude. Although he looks confused. So I'm not exactly sure what the setup was even. I don't know if it was even ever properly explained. What's up is he does what he wants to. But regardless, now we're seeing the dude love heel turn to set up the the pay-per-view match coming up later in the month of April and then again in May. <laughs> the 23 Skidoo knock need love dance from the dude. And there's Babyface Shane. Not Babyface is a good guy, but Babyface is and he has a Babyface. <laughs> it's, it's the young Shane. And then Vince simply leaves. Yep. No contest. I can don't know if that officially Vince's his first match or not, but... Anyone gonna untie Steve's arm? Nope. And for the record, that match in um in February would not be the last time Vince got in the ring, but it would be the first time he officially had a match, as far as I can recall. This notwithstanding, obviously. But we can't quite see the rainbows anymore. Like, every time he's on camera, he's just slightly off. Good. So the camera's not really picking up with the stripes. You're referring, of course, to Pat Patterson's shirt. Yes. Which, like I say, uh, old video cameras don't react well to striped shirts. I need an old video The camera. wide stripes are like the referee shirt aren't a problem, but it's the really close-knit stripes. Yeah, I was going to say, I need an old video camera specifically to film <laughs> No, that hurts, that hurts my eyes. I like it. I, I like, like the it. rainbow. Now, I think we're getting ready to go off the air here with Raw, a.k.a. the Warzone. But this presentation actually has some bonus footage on it, which bonus uh, I'm kind of interested to see because I've never seen it before. Uh-huh. I have also never seen it before. Yeah. Vince, he, look, look, he's acting like he wants to get in there. <laughs> but look, uh, there's dude. Uh, he's calling out Vince. He's like, hey, you want some of me? Come on. Yeah. So I'm not really sure what the character's motivation was at the time. <laughs> Yeah, that dance played better when he was a just a fun-loving baby face than as the the evil heel. It's hilarious. Yeah, I I, I think there's going to be a little graphic on screen to show us when we've gone into the bonus content. So I think at this point we're still watching the original. Yeah, role. think so. I just remember the show went off the air with them fighting. I don't remember specifically the point it went off the air. Interesting. Interesting that I don't remember the specific point at which it went off the air. Yes. Okay. Very interesting. Please tell me more about cameraman. it. The cameraman is down. <laughs> no, not the cameraman. And there we go with the sign-off. So this is the end of the show as it was spots. back in 1998. But then now we're going to get some bonus content, which I don't know where it was originally. They're calling it Extra Attitude here. Extra Attitude. I mean, for all I know, this is something they even added back on when the network... <sighs> came about but probably not it probably existed somewhere before that obviously it was filmed long before that yeah they kept the cameras rolling and the live crowd would be privy to all this 
Yeah, this, I've never heard this promo right here. Dude Love says he's just shown the Stone Cold isn't so tough after all. And ow, have mercy. Laying that on the announcer's table. Yeah. What's new? Jim Ross trying to un. It looks like he's trying to steal Stone Cold's watch, but I think he's just untying the, the rope that was on his wrist. <laughs> Dude, love with that horribly drawn fake tattoo. It doesn't even begin to look real. I don't think it's supposed to. I think they try to make it. I yeah, I think it was supposed to look real. They just didn't bother putting in the effort to really make it look real. Well, it doesn't feel like it's supposed to look real. Mick does have a tattoo. He told the story of it that he got it to impress a girl when he was in school. He's got a tattoo on his hip. I don't remember what it is. <clears throat> might be a Tasmanian devil, but it might not be. And Steve stomping in the back to go after his assailant. Are we, we going to get a backstage brawl? Oh, and here comes Triple H to spoil the fun. Interesting. This, I, I wonder if this is going to set up like an impromptu match. Because it's not uncommon for Raw to have what's known as a dark match, where after the show goes off the air, they'll actually have a main event just for the live crowd. Yeah. And this, I'm assuming, isn't something that was advertised, but it might lead into at least an impromptu after-show match. Now Kane's coming. <laughs> <laughs> now comes out. I guess we're just going to empty the locker room at this point. Hey, guys, I want to play. <laughs> oh, my God. Legion of Doom in the ring. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to fight a monster, you might as well have somebody big and bad like LOD. Is that Adam also going to come out? Uh, maybe. The walk want to come out? Hmm. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, maybe, because The Rock and Triple H would have a feud for a large portion of this year. Nope, here comes Taker. <laughs> you see Jerry Lawler just casually making his way to the back. Yeah. No, I'm not needed here. I'm just going to slip on out. I'm yeah. getting out of him. Show's over. I don't need to call anything. Gosh dang. And here we go, Taker and Kane going at it. Big punches from Taker. Is someone going to come out to fight Taker Over now? the top rope. Oof. Uh, possibly, but I mean, his feud is with Kane, so it looks like they might just brawl to the back. What does that say? Kane was my... Somebody's got a, a, a sure. sign in the crowd. It's behind Paul Bearer now. Kane... Oh, Kane is my dentist because uh, Glenn Jacobs... One of his early runs in the WWF back in the summer of 95 was his Jerry Lawler's, quote, dentist, end quote, because Jerry Lawler and Bret Hart had a kiss my foot match, and Bret made Jerry Lawler kiss Jerry Lawler's own foot, and, and the thing was that Jerry Lawler had been making his feet get all nasty before Bret was going to have to kiss it, but now Lawler's mouth was infected, so he had to go see his dentist, and he brought his dentist in to fight Bret Hart, and, and it was Glenn Jacobs in the guise of the evil dentist, Isaac Yankum, or I Yankum, which was like an old... Uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan joke. Look, my dentist is gonna fight you. Look, they're not all winners. Okay, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not defending it. I'm just telling you what it was. Go on the shot. Just because I know what happened and can recount it to you doesn't mean that I'm supporting it. Just <laughs> Wrestling things can definitely you were just be hit there to witness it. I, you, you know, it's history. You got to take the good with the bad. Stone Cold Stunner for it's like Low Dog Brian James. Sometimes you get the Stone Two, Cold. Three. Sometimes you get the dentist. And there we go. It wasn't a match, but it was a match. Steve Austin pinned the road dog Brian James, or Jesse James as he was known at the time. And even just an announcement, probably from the Fink. I do believe I saw him at ringside. I don't know why Billy Gunn's holding 
<laughs> dog's braids like that. <laughs> Who knows? Honestly, like, God damn, that was a strange insect. <laughs> Anybody else gonna come out here? Belt. The popcorn vendor wanna fight? <laughs> I did not get a good Steve Austin voice. I need to work on that. I do some decent impressions. Steve Austin is not one of them. They're all staying in the ring now. They're like, so, guys wanna go out for drinks? They, they were on a team at the WF pay-per-view in July of 97. Little crotch shot from Hawk. Man. Canadian Stampede <laughs> against Bret Hart and the Hart Foundation. The referees come fight now. Of Doom, I mean. <laughs> the halfway through the match, the referee starts fighting. Yeah, nah, no. That would be interesting. An undercover I mean, wrestler. Flair would take a bump from a referee every now and then. I'm trying to think if there are any former ref- uh, other than like special guest referees. Of course, they would yeah. get physically involved. I don't know if there were any other former wrestlers who were referees. There probably have been, and I just don't know of them. Time for Mark Eaton to throw the beers in. No. So no what beers? just happened back there? Back where? The people back there. And yeah, there's a lot of people back there. <laughs> and they like started ducking and looking around, like, "What's going on?" I don't know. I thought Steve was fixing to get some beers thrown to him by timekeeper Mark Eaton, but... Could you imagine a whole storyline, like, for a year, there's a new referee or whatever, that had some big pay-per-view, he starts fighting in the middle of the match, revealing that he was the secret wrestler or something, I don't know. I mean, the only issue with that is, by and large, the referees are smaller than the wrestlers. It might look kind of obvious if you had a real jacked-up referee. Make me a manager, please. <laughs> I don't think she ever became a manager, but maybe. She doesn't look familiar. Okay, here we go. Now's the beer time. Just, He's had to just a little leave. salute. No beers. I mean, this might have been before the, the, the beer. Dude, did he have the beers at the end of WrestleMania when he won the championship? I don't remember. Then again, to be fair, this is a... He's getting a microphone. He's got something to say first. The man's got something to say. Undertaker 316... Crowd in the audience. Crowd in the audience? Sign in the crowd. <laughs> There's a crowd in that audience. <laughs> I would hope your audience has a bit of a crowd. Within the audience, there's a small crowd. <laughs> They're grouping together. We better watch out for them. I don't know what this voice is. <laughs> Almost sounds like you're Vegeta. Like you're not quite, but you're no. going there. God damn it, Nappa. There's a crowd in that audience. There may be a threat to the Saiyans. Must keep an eye on them. Okay. Have you made Vegeta or Goku in WWE 2K yet? I think you have a Goku, mm-hmm. don't you? Yeah, definitely a Goku. That's just because they had Saiyan hair, and you're like, well, why not? Yes. You didn't make Vegeta. Yeah. Have them have no a beer match bash together. today. I don't know if this was before the Austin beer bashes or not, or just wasn't the plan for today. And his special ability is to teleport it behind his opponent. Because you can do that in WWE 2K. And the crowd cheers as we fade to black. And that was the Raw. Steve from Minecraft. That was the Raw from April 13th, 1998. Yes, yes Just it was. over 25 years ago as this podcast goes up. That was the one that finally broke the famous 83-week streak. The 83-week streak for which Eric Bischoff's podcast is named. And I was definitely watching it. I don't even know if I watched any of Nitro that night. Like I said, I wasn't home with my uh, wrestling-watching partner, my dad. So it was... Not as big a deal, but of course, once we saw what was going on, you had to keep watching. Yeah. So, what'd you guys think of it? A little more Attitude Era action. It was interesting. It was fine, but the matches were too short. 
Well, like I say, that was sort of uh, typical of this era. You were not going to get a lot of long television matches. I don't like that. Well, I mean, it was still a time when the arena show business still mattered, so you wanted to save longer matches for that and get people to come out and buy tickets. And also, pay-per-view was your main revenue source by this point, so you wanted to have your longer matches there. And in WWF, like I say, they did not have nearly as deep a roster as WCW, who would tend to have longer matches on television. <laughs> so they really couldn't afford to waste you know, marquee matches and have them play on television if they were going to have them at their pay-per-views and at their arena shows. <laughs> so I understand it from that standpoint, and I also realize that that just kind of was the standard for the time. But yeah, I do like longer wrestling matches. But again, this is the weekly show. You weren't necessarily conditioned to expect the long matches then. Like You'd get that when the pay-per-views would come around. So I enjoyed it when we did get a longer match, but I was fine with this. As long as they kept the action going, kept the storylines moving, kept it interesting, it was good times. Like I say, 1998 and the whole Attitude Era, that was the... Most fun I ever had as a wrestling fan. Because I, I'm really fond of wrestling in the early 90s when I first got into it. But I can't deny I had such a great time as a wrestling fan during the Attitude Era. <laughs> and we hope you've had a good time listening to us here. Uh, make sure you come back next time when the conversation will continue. But until then, I am and will continue to be Maddie. Lexi. And Dylan. And this is Lexi Concluded. Bye! Bye.